0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and guess what? We're back. Oh my gosh, it's been a long time. I have an explanation for you for why we were gone so long. And I don't want to take too much time on this. I'll probably talk about this more later at some point, Um, but we have a top 10 list for the best films of 2023, a year that I largely missed on this podcast because I stopped doing it in February. And why did I stop doing it? Well, it started where I was missing a couple of weeks at that point because uh, work got way too busy and I just didn't have the bandwidth to kind of keep this up. There was just a lot going on at that point. And uh shortly after that, I ended up uh, helping take care of my dying grandfather. Uh, that was a few months later, but there was a bunch of stuff in between that just ended up, I just kind of had a, a bit of a crisis too. I was just kind of thinking like, I don't know. I want the content to be better. I want to do this. I want to do that, and I just kept. It was one of those things where you just keep thinking, "How do I make this better?" Oh, I got to do this. Ah, I'm not ready to do this. You know, it was just. It was just a lot of talking myself out of it. I, I just had a lot going on at that point in my life, and I just whenever you look at the priority of things, this just quite frankly didn't make the cut. And it's not because I didn't love it. It's not because it wasn't fulfilling. It's just. I just had a lot. So I appreciate anyone who comes back and starts listening. Uh, I thought the best place to start again was uh, the best films of 2023. Why wouldn't we start with the best of list? And so here we are. Uh, I I have uh, Joe Shearer from the IFJA. He also writes for the Midwest Film Journal. I have Matthew Sosi, who does film sociology, also a part of the Indiana Film Journalists Association, the IFJA. And uh, as always, it's become a tradition. The three of us get together. We make a bunch of inside jokes about wrestling and, and random like blues stuff. And then, uh, you know, we talk about our favorite films. And uh, this is the shortest best of episode that we've ever had. So I'm pretty proud of us. Uh, but uh, yeah, so please uh, enjoy. We will be back next week. At the end of the episode, I'll tell you a little bit more about that. But until then, please enjoy Joe, Matt and I. We're going to talk about the best films of 2023. All right. It's been a long time. Joe, Matt, how are you guys doing? Okay. Doing just fine, Mr. (laughs) TV announcer. Don't forget it you egg sucking dog (laughs) yeah we're we're back everybody that's the whole point best films of 2023 uh quick uh rundown of how this is gonna go we're going to uh do our top 10 today but the six through 10 we're each gonna go kind of list our six through 10 uh talk a little bit about each one if we choose to and then our top five uh, we're gonna go around one at a time just you know go around do our top five uh, we are going to hold off on movies that are on other people's list until we get to the highest point um, on our lists and then we will talk about the movie um, and this applies to the six through tens as well and um, yeah so we're gonna start first I'm gonna start with Matt and then we'll go to Joe and then I'll share some uh, this question for you is twofold how do you feel about this year in cinema overall and can you describe your criteria for how
1: you put together your top ten? What? Well, okay, my cat Anya wants to chime in. Oh, great. Um, <laughs> well, this year I think it, it, as usual, follows the format where ninety percent of the noted films kind of came out in the last three months, or as we call it, you know, grown-up movie season. Um, I so that, and that's kind of like that. For there's one film on my list that there's, hopefully there's at least one film that you see earlier in the year. And I'll use an example. when. Remember when Silence of the Lambs or Hell and High Water came out? And that film was so strong when something else would come up of, no, you're like, is it, is it as good as Hell or High Water? Or Silence of the Lambs? Or in this case, the film, which I won't mention yet. So, but most of the stuff came out in the last three months. So, and there's just, just kind of the whirlwind of... Um, of the movie season grown-up movie season and i know the struggle is real because we get screeners sent to us and then eventually we get to go to private screenings with just us (laughs) doughy white folks with glasses and there are there are other people (laughs) now it's okay but uh and as far as the list because austin austin likes to bust my chops about lists because you know everybody has one um i try to do a ranking of preference as far as you know, one that I do put a tie on it cause I, I want to cheat and it's my list.
2: Yeah, um,
1: sure. But no, I try to do it in some order, but I can tell you probably after the top three, it could, you could scramble those films, a lot of these films kind of together and it would be perfectly acceptable.
0: I feel the exact same way, especially with my bottom um, five or six. I'm the same way. Like I could kind of move good them horse around race. a bit.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: Joe, what about you?
3: yeah, yeah, same. Um I you know, up until November, I really thought it was a pretty weak year. um of course, I had never I had not seen either end of, of Barbenheimer um at that point, and um, uh, you know, I just felt like it was flat. but then, you know, November hit, and those movies started coming. and this is something that doesn't necessarily happen. you know, I mean, we you know, if, if you've listened to our podcast podcast that you know that I'm on or you know Matt has been on other people. When we get all these movies and we're just like in this mad rush, like sometimes it's disappointing. Um, you know, even to get these kind of big movies. But um this year I think the big movies really rolled in and they delivered pretty well. So I would say it's a pretty solid year. Um you're you're right, Matt, about that, you know, your kind of your your base comparison film. I had that one um for several months and you know, when I, I would tell people, I, and again, I won't mention this movie yet, I'll maybe when, once we actually talk about it, I'll I'll bring it up. But, you know, people would, you know, would say, oh, what's your favorite movie so far of the year? And I was like, I'll say, you know, it was a movie. And they're like, oh, like, really? And I'm like, yeah, you know, like, that's good. But, you know, I I didn't think it would end the year at number one, it still was pretty high. But, um, it, you know, it was kind of the, uh, the standard for, for most of the year. But now, you know there's a couple things ahead of it and this one's still right there uh it's it's still let me say like this top three still um but um the, yeah they're basically it's it's just kind of a feel for me i i don't go I, i'm not i don't go crazy with metrics and you know does it have this does it have this how does it make movie make me feel um but yeah i think really my top 10 is uh, it's pretty set it's relatively set i think my top my top five, I'm pretty, I'm pretty secure and firm. And after that, things could move around depending on day. And, um, and as a matter of fact, before we even started, I, I did a little rearranging and a movie dropped Same. out of my top 10 and I put another one in and then I put another one on top of that. And then I was like, yeah, but it, you know, it's, it's just kind of a difficult and fluid thing to me. And it's, it's really more for everyone else um, who's listening, who, who, or who's asking me the questions than it is really for me.
1: So, so what you're saying is that one film dropped out is The Lance of the films that you're, that are out right there. <laughs> yes. <pretty> sure.
2: Yes. <laughs> it wasn't no, the contender. It's, <laughs> it's uh
0: it's uh, one of those years for me uh where someone asks you your number 1 and you tell them and it's a great number 1 but you're yeah. like in a better year it might be like a 6 or 7. But you know it's like you know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah. it's like that kind of thing. that was this year for me. But what's also interesting is uh, you were talking, I think it was Joe was saying like, um, like a lot of the big budget movies or the bigger movies are kind of, they kind of hit a bit better than we expected, you know? Yeah. Half my list, I, I had texted you earlier, Joe, and said my list is weird, basically. Yeah. And the reason for that is like you guys know my list for the past several years. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, uh, most of the time there's like a relatively decent spread Uh, But I don't put a lot of big ones, even to the extent that one time when the three of us did the top 10 and Spider-Man was number one on yours, Joe, you even prefaced it with like, listen, I'm not going to be ashamed about my pick. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's just not typically where I go. But I'll be damned if this isn't closer to something like that, you know? And I I just found that so interesting this year. Um, In terms of uh, how I felt about the year, that pretty much sums it up it's one of those years where it's like uh, in a in a better year i feel like some of my movies they may have still been in my top 10 but they'd have been maybe lower my mm-hmm. top my number one might have got there it depends um but i also didn't get to see poor things or the zone of interest which were two movies that i had a, a huge interest in i just didn't have an opportunity to see them mm-hmm. um so that sucks uh th- those may have made a difference um, as far as how I put my top 10 together, I, I keep a running list the entire year. I just have a yep. private list on Letterboxd that I just literally keep there and move stuff around as I think about them. And Because, you know, there are sometimes movies that you put as, say, number 13, and then as the year goes on, you can't stop thinking about this movie, and it just starts to, like, evolve and shape in your mind. And by the end, this happened here where it started lower on my list, and now it's, like, in my bottom Top 10. You know, like right. it's in yeah. my six through 10. I'm just like, how did it even get there? But it just stayed with me, you know? Yeah. So yeah, you I do that,
3: that too. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I do that too and, and keep it running through the year. Every time I see something, I rank it and then I put it in the list. Sometimes they move around, but
1: yeah, they, yeah. they
3: can move around quite a bit. But yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Matt.
1: No, you're, you're both Fritz. It's okay. Um, <laughs> oh, no. no. I, I don't want to I, be you, Fritz. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not that terrible. No, actually, what I, I will say, what I do is um, thanks to Box Office Mojo, when it hits November, I will go back and I will check every weekend of the year to remind mm-hmm. myself of what opened or maybe something smaller that I missed between the cracks. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so, yeah, I I don't tend to keep a running list because my if you've seen my desk, it's a, it's – it's a war zone. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I, But I think the other thing to, to jump onto with what you guys were saying is it's also if you look at what didn't make the list, if you look at your honorable mentions, your 11 through 20, and you're looking at that and there are certain times like, wow, that didn't make it. I think that's a sign that it's a, it's a pretty good year. And there's some strong stuff, and there was some stuff that was brought up at the the Golden Globes this year, and I'm sure some stuff will get some nominations that, you know, just didn't make my top ten, but uh, hopefully it will get some some bigger audience along the way. Yeah, I'd say my
0: top 25 or 27, something like that, are pretty solid, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like, they're they're not, some of them aren't amazing, but it's like, those are pretty good. After that, it's like a, mm-hmm. I mean, just talking about Warzone, we're, so we're you're, see, where
1: do what you're saying is number twenty-seven beat the living shit out of number twenty-eight to stay on the top. <laughs> <laughs>
2: There's
1: a
3: big gap I, there.
1: What's funny is I feel like if I could put a line on this list,
0: there is a distinctive difference between the movies on one side and the movies there. But um, anyway, so so uh, yeah, this is this has been an interesting year. Uh, so what I want to do is uh, when we do our six through ten, um, if it's on if it's in anyone else's top five. OK, if it's in your six through 10, we'll all just run through them right now. But if, if somebody names something in their six through 10 and it's in your top five, just raise your hand and we'll wait until we get to that point. All right. So, Matt,
1: six through 10, go ahead and list them off for us. All right. Yes, sir. Number 10. One of the more tense films that come out this year. Uh, Daniel Goldhaber's film, How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Um, you know, we we see films that are about, you know, not the greatest people in the world, but the this is the opposite end of a ragtag group of misfits with a prod. This is the kind of the anti-dirty dozen. And it's very tense and it's very, very effective. Number nine, Sophia Coppola's Priscilla. Sorry, Bos Larman. This is a superior Elvis film that came out in the last <laughs> few years. I actually you know,
0: didn't get a chance to see this, unfortunately. But go ahead. Kudos
1: to Kaylee Spaney and Jacob Elrod, who, who had a pretty good year this year with films. I know he was also in Saltburn. And also, the, the final moment of Priscilla gave me the biggest laugh of the year. Thank you, Dolly Parton. And I'll leave it at that. Uh, number eight, I cheated. It's my list. I put in a tie. My tie for number eight is Anatomy of a Fall and the, zo- the Zone of Interest, just so I can keep pushing. Sandra Huller and her fine, uh, fine year as an actress. So that's eight. Number seven, uh, Poor Things with, uh, Emma, with Emma Stone and Mark Ruffalo and all of the wacky weirdness of that. Willem Dafoe, of course. Number six, probably the film that's going to get screwed over more than anything else. Um, looking at you, Golden Globes, the animated film Robot Dreams. A dog and his robot in New York. And it was touching and heartbreaking. I loved it. So there's there's six through ten. Four of the
0: six that you mentioned, I did not have an opportunity to see.
1: <laughs> yeah, so that, that.
0: But like yeah. like robot dreams is one that I've had just like I've been trying to find it and it's nowhere. Yeah. Um but yeah, great. Well, I thank you. Okay, good list, good list so far. We're on a good roll here. Joe, six yeah. through ten. Go for it. Yeah.
3: Well, um a little just a little bit of overlap. We'll get it out of the way quick. Uh Robot Dreams is my number ten um just a lovely movie um yeah that's that's about as much as I'll say about it no no dialogue in that movie at all and just what a great what a great great fun movie that was um number 9 is kokomo city for me it's a, a documentary about uh transgender sex workers and i i will say the opening scene of this movie is is someone is one of the interviewees one of the subjects of the documentary being interviewed talking about a specific encounter that that they had and is as intense and riveting as any action scene i've ever seen this year uh it is a lot of fun
0: i want to say one thing about that real quick Mm uh if that scene doesn't get you for the what 71 minute running it's so short if that opening scene doesn't keep you there for that short amount of time you are a psychopath Yes, (laughs) (laughs) Right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: it's so, so good. So that movie took me by surprise probably more than anything this year. Um, maybe, well, a couple of these ones I'm going to mention. Num- my number eight is Bottoms, which kind of revives the teen sex comedy, um, filters it through the um, the the lens of uh, gay young girls and um, is hilarious. And it just dis- it does things that you didn't think movies would do t- these days. And Marshawn Lynch is magnificent in it. Um, That's Marshawn Lynch, the football player. Um, Yeah. So if you haven't seen that, and it's very accessible, it's a fun comedy, um, does fun things. Um, My number seven is When Evil Lurks, which is a Spanish language movie from Argentina. Um, uh, It's a horror film, and it goes crazy, goes berserk in ways that I could not have imagined. (laughs) Um, It's rough. It's really rough. Um, but just a just a strong, tremendous movie. Um, and then my number six, um in a in a year where tons of movies uh, to varying degrees of success um kind of deconstructed cultural phenomena. um, Blackberry is going to be is my number six uh, about the rise and fall of of the forerunner to the smartphone and um just a just another good i i I wrote when i was writing my little notes i said it's Glenn Gary glenn ross with nerds and uh (laughs) that's that's about the most apt description i can can give it
1: i feel bad because i i think how to blow up a pipeline beat up uh blackberry Uh to get onto the list my other my other double feature would have been blackberry and dumb money yeah. So and you know, and their dad, the big short. So yes. yeah, <laughs> and, and their dad.
3: <laughs> yeah. I'll I'll go I'll go through like more of these films that I'm talking about um later on because I'm gonna bring up another one later. But right. um yeah, but there there's a kind of a there's kind of a run of these kinds of movies, and um they they were almost all you know at least pretty good, if not very
0: good. So no, yeah. very good, very cool. Yeah, well, um my 10 through six. Um, my number 10, I actually just watched yesterday. So talk about a movie that just kind of crept in. Um, it's the movie sanctuary. Uh, I worded it like this. It's like a horny sunset limited, but instead of Sam Jackson and Tommy Lee Jones, it's hot people. That's how I wrote that out. Uh, (laughs) Dude, this caught me off guard though, because the music fucking rules. And the, which is not in a lot, but when it does come in, it was like notable to me. It looks beautiful and it's, I was just like captivated, but I'm a sucker. This is like a movie made for me, not the horny part, but the two people yeah. in a room talking like Church, give yeah. me, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Pervert. no, it's like, it's like my dinner with Andre sunset limited, like any of those movies, it's just like, give it to me and just leave me in a room. Like I'll just watch this for days. So I was really into that. Did not expect that at all. Um, Number nine was uh, the title was mentioned, but not on a list. Uh, I actually was a part, even though this movie was divisive, uh, I really liked Saltburn, actually. Um, So that was kind of a divisive. Some people didn't like it. Some people did. For some reason, it hit me. Uh, I thought it was pretty beautifully visualized. I thought it was well acted. And it was a scathing exploration of classism. So I thought that that was uh, pretty interesting. Uh number eight, here's what I was talking about those big movies, Joe.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: John Wick chapter four, bro.
3: Yeah, it's it's in my top twenty.
0: Yeah. I actually loved this movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> can, I like I feel like I feel like I get a I have a knack of just like shitting on like action movies, and it's not what I mean to do. It's just that's generally how I feel. But I like loved this movie. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, when are you gonna see uh like action sequences like this in American movies, I just don't yeah. feel like it really happens very often. That was actually captivated from beginning to end, and that movie's fucking long for an action yeah. movie. So, like, uh, I thought it was just cool. I'm, I'm, just, I can't stress enough how up to this point I'm so surprised this is my six through ten already, right? But right. I stand by it. I'm happy with it. Yeah, um, number
3: John Wick chapter four. Sorry to interrupt you. Is uh, the first John Wick movie I've seen. I that was the the first one, and yeah, it's. Yeah, really, like sixteen or seven? Yes, I had not watched any of the others.
1: The first and, one rules, I think. Yeah, but yeah, you know, yeah. you know, Joe, the dog, a dog is killed. Yes, I, <laughs> I, I, I
3: was aware of that.
1: <laughs> I was just like, awesome. all the dogs. I don't know. I, I, I'm with you that the 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 fight scenes are amazing. I think I started to drift a little bit. Not really a spoiler alert. When he fell down the stairs a second time, I'm like, oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. come on, <laughs> come Dude, on, I, get to the battle. I,
0: were, were, were I not fascinated with the choreography. I would have felt oh, yeah. the exact same way cuz it goes way too long. But uh number 7 uh is Asteroid City. Uh I am a Wes Wes Anderson mark. Uh the attention to detail in his craft is always just impeccable. What I find interesting though and I feel like I'm going to have a caveat that is could be interpreted negative for half of these, <laughs> even though I'm sitting here trying to like champion them. Um, but a lot of people were talking about how Asteroid City was Wes Anderson. Like this, it's like him trying to go back to more of like an emotional movie and trying to like bring, and I just don't get that with these new ones. They're so clinical and like very, very specifically structured, but that's not a bad thing. I just don't have the same experience a lot of other people have with these same with the french dispatch that was in my top 10 when we did it whenever that came out Um, but it was like the same thing but i just love the whole aesthetic of asteroid city great and then number six and i part of me just wants to make this number five but i'm gonna stick stick to my list it's the holdovers alexander payne's the holdovers Um, I won't say any more about it because a hand was raised. So we will leave it at that for the 10 through six. That is mine. Um, So uh, let's go to number five. We'll do each one, one by one now, starting with Matt. Give us your number five and tell us about it.
1: Well, I I mentioned earlier that How to Blow Up a Pipeline was one of the more tense films I got to watch this year. Probably the most tense film I watched was my number five, and it's NIAD. With my favorite screen couple, Annette Benning and Jodie Foster, based on the story of the woman that what I didn't realize took several attempts to chant to swim from Cuba to Florida. And she's in she first tried it in her 20s, and then she tried several times in her 60s to go across. And and if, if you were tense watching the final hole in Tin Cup or all of John Favreau's <laughs> voicemails and swingers. This is worse. This is worse than the, I mean, just jellyfish and the weather or, you know, being in your 60s and going against Mother Nature, all of that. And as I'm watching this very tense film, and I know it's obviously an exhausting performance for Annette Bening because she's got to do the emotional aspect of it and swim a lot. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But I finally, I, I had to do the thing of... Who directed this? And, of course, it was from the duo that won the Academy Award for the documentary Free Solo, which explains <laughs> yeah, yeah. everything. And that was a film when the ending of Free Solo happened, I burst into tears because I was so tired. Uh, uh, and when the <laughs> accomplishment was made. And this, it almost happens in Nyad. Um, but it's it's really excellent performances from uh, Foster and Benning, and uh, yeah, if you if you think you're a schlub, uh, you might you might be if you, especially if you watch Nyad, because uh, it's it's really really inspirational. And again, my my favorite couple this year.
0: That. Wow. Yeah. I, I just I'm going to be the freaking nerd in this whole episode. That's just like didn't get a chance to see it. But yeah. now it's on my list. Like it's go. It wasn't even on my list. That's how under yeah my own radar that was. So it's I'm literally editing it now so <laughs> that it goes on, on there because. I, yeah, I yeah, I, did, I also I
3: didn't see, see this. I, you know, I I'm I'm I'll just say I'm very proud of the number of movies I watched this year, but. And, and I don't feel too terrible about the ones that I did miss the few that I missed. That's one of the few that I missed, but uh, Look, it, it was weird how early we got that. And then, and how little buzz it got. So I'm, I'm kind of glad that to hear you put it there. So maybe, um, maybe I can actually pick it up and watch it.
1: We all, we all have blind spots because we are, you know, the, the strong, giant members of the I F J a we, we give off the aura that we've seen everything. And that's, that's not entirely true. I was, I was I was happy to say, I got to see this screening in a theater which also helps, uh, but that was, but on the flip side, I watched Free Solo at my desk at work and I was, a, I was exhausted. So, yeah. <laughs> so that I means it's a good sign. Don't watch those two films together. Please don't watch them together. But uh, you I say that every time you mention two sad movies and it just makes me want to watch them back to back. Yeah. Like, just because you have the Bummersville swimming pool. Like I, everything's yeah. just Bummersville in your town. We're just <laughs> right. in the town.
0: Yeah, it's my own city, and I can live there if I want to. Leave me alone. I'm an adult. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that that's on there. And I, this is part of what I love about these lists is, like, some you guys uh, undoubtedly get to see more than than I do. Uh, and so it's always fun to hear certain titles. Like uh, last year, I think it was, or maybe it was two years ago, uh, the uh, movie that was the remake of Akiru. Living. Um, With, Living. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, it's on um-
1: Bill Nighy, Bill Nighy's greatest performance. Yep,
0: and so, so I like that. Put that on my radar because I didn't even know about that. So it's little things like that I love. Um, so uh, great pick! I love that. I can't wait to watch that. It actually sounds great, Joe. Mm-hmm. Number five.
3: Yeah, well, well, I'm going to go ahead and, and get this out of the way now. So we'll get we'll get the the Marvel out of the way. My favorite and- preface ever. Yes, um, and it's uh, Ant-Man. Ant-Man. No, it's not. It's not Ant-Man. <laughs> we no. both almost made <laughs> <the same laughs> joke. I said it. I started saying it too. No, it's Spider-Man across the Spider Verse. Um, not MCU, but it is now adjoining. Um, and okay, and we will uh, and we will not say too much more about it other than I really liked it. on My number five. So See, uh, yeah, Joe I'm,
0: didn't think that was on anyone else's list. I did. I would he never thought, have thought there's yeah. no way this yeah. goddamn movie is on another uh, list. And he right. was
3: wrong. Well, when I, when, when no way home was, was my number one, Austin drove to my house and threw rocks through my windows. So, you know, I didn't think that it would a, <laughs> I didn't think that, that would ever make it on a list. Well, so no. Okay. Yeah. I, I won't say anything else about uh, across the spider verse quite yet. Other than I liked it a lot. You know more than um, all but four Shut of up, the movies that I watched this year. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, we'll fail, so We right.
0: will definitely we will definitely talk about that here uh, shortly. Um, yeah. I'll just say my number five. Uh, just I guess to join the camp was Oppenheimer. Okay. Anybody else? Yeah. Okay. Then I will. I will hold oh. off on that. I thought maybe that would be one, and I'm glad it is because I want other voices in on that conversation. Yeah. So I will hold off on Oppenheimer. Uh, we will talk about that shortly. Matt, give us your
1: give us your number four, bud. Number four. I probably obvious, and I don't care. Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. So oh, no. and I'm gonna stop because your hand. I thought oh. I would. Old straight white dude would be carrying the flag on this one. So I'm going to stop talking. Okay.
0: Nope, 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 nope. It All is right. on another list. We will talk Woo! about that. I hope that this just keeps going until we get to our top three, and that just sped <laughs> us through two whole numbers. For like an hour. And then we can, yeah, then we can geek out for that hour about these movies. Yeah. Uh, Joe, number four. Yeah, my, my four is Oppenheimer, so we'll just keep that moving. All right. Yep. Keep it moving then. All right. Yeah. I love this. My number four, glad that it got back to me so quickly, uh, is the movie Past Lives, actually. Okay. okay. We have another... This is the greatest day of my life. Okay.
3: <laughs> I'm showing you my copy yeah. of Past Lives right next yeah. to me that I haven't watched. You.
0: Dear
1: <laughs> Criterion. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Dear Criterion's right. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Love Past Lives. We'll talk about that here shortly. Um, Right back to Matt, dude. Uh, number okay. three.
1: Number three. Now, I feel like we're cutting wires in the bomb scenes. So, all right. Number three... Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. All right, <laughs> right let's do it. It's the highest oh, one. Oh, wow. We're all, okay. All right. So well, five, four, um, three. Yeah, we're good. Okay. The, the fastest three hour film I've ever watched. Um, the uh if, if you take uh all of Christopher Nolan's eccentricities and and you know epic filmmaking uh, quirks which he has um a score that's not done by Hans Zimmer but also very effective super um,
0: effective yes my
1: god so good and and if you took if you took a Christopher Nolan film and the style of Oliver Stone's JFK and kind of threw it together especially in the last third with the trial sequence you would think yeah I mean, it, it's a trial sequence that moves at a at a Nolan-esque pace, but really good performances. I think I might say it, this might be the film Robert Downey Jr. finally gets a statue, mm-hmm. and it's not a flashy performance; it's a solid performance. And kudos to Killian Murphy. You know, be, he's been a regular uh, he's been a regular of the Christopher Nolan players for a while, but uh, I mean, he carries the film with a great amount of grace and appears to be doing not the, not a whole lot besides getting naked and wearing hats. But um, also that one of the scariest parts of this film is not the explosion, but the party that goes afterwards, because we are reminded, (laughs) yeah, it's not just about this bomb is made to stop the war. We've now changed war to a whole different level. And uh, it was all, you can thank slash blame Killian Murphy's uh, character and everything that comes with it. Um, so yeah, I uh, uh, an epic that moves is really good, and we'll get to we'll get to killers in a little bit. But uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I and I saw it on a giant ass screen. I I was I, I remember on film sociology pushing the virtue of. Of Arpen, you know Arpen, and Bobby, and all the other, and doing them as a double feature, and I wasn't able to do that, you know, but I was able to see them in two days. Uh, yeah. Oppenheimer on a Tuesday, Barbie on a Wednesday, and got to see it on a giant ass IMAX screen, and I'm really happy I did. So, nice. and thank you, Christopher Nolan, for championing physical copies, whether the studio sent me one or not. So. <laughs> I'll
2: tell you they what did.
0: I thought was the scariest part of this movie was uh, all of the uh, the the burn gel that uh, Ben Safty has on his face. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's pretty cool.
0: Um but no, uh Joe, what are, what are your thoughts and then I'll go.
3: Yeah, it I that this movie is just an odyssey. Like it, it's it's strange there there've been several long movies this year and you know, Matt, you call it the the fastest 3-hour movie. I I felt I felt most of the 3 hours but I was engrossed. For all of them. And kudos to Nolan for making a movie like this that really it's it's just pleasing everyone. It like they they say you can't please everyone. He pretty much got everybody. I mean, it's you know, it's it's riveting, it's artsy, it it's visually interesting, it has great sound and music, and it's got recognizable actors and playing, you know, playing. Um, you know, kind of the, the kinds of roles they want to play. Gary Oldman came off the bench. Right, yeah, and it's just like, they, they dusted off Tony Goldwyn, for God's sake. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and, the, and there's just like a lot of people, I mean, I'm looking like, Kenneth Branagh was in this movie, you know, like, I'm just like going through the castles, I'm like, Kenneth Branagh really wouldn't want to see Blood yeah,
2: really I think is really good in
1: this, and, you know, uh, you know, Florence Pugh, and, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, I mean he's obviously one of those filmmakers sorry Joe that that you know everybody wants to work with him that's mm-hmm. why you know half the screen actor guild works with uh Wes Anderson and yeah. and I guess the other half kind of worked on this which so is right. Yeah. And also, and I, I don't know her name, and I feel terrible. But mm. the editor for this film also has to get credit. She's not my favorite, like Thelma Schumacher, but man, she did a hell of a job. And I hope she gets I hope she gets some, some more statues and certificates for her editing of this because she also helped make this film move.
0: Yeah, yeah, Jennifer Lane? Thank Lame? you. That's right. It was know, uh,
1: the yeah. weirdly titled, the weirdly named, not so yeah. not, but great. Yeah. Dude, this but, I, I'll say.
0: <clears throat> I don't I don't I'm not even gonna why well, I'm gonna try uh, Ludwig Gorenson uh, is the cool. composer and uh, I, I'm looking at his uh, filmography of stuff that he's done and I'm just like could any of these be as good as this because he's done like he did like Black Panther and Tenet and and Turning Red the the Disney movie and Creed oh. and you know, like he, he did like music for all like just a complete random assortment of movies and this, like that, that stood out to me that it wasn't Hans Zimmer, right? Like that, this is something a, a little list. different, and it's but it's equally as moving. But you know, the only movie I could think of to compare this to in Nolan's kind of uh, filmography uh, was something like uh, that took me off guard as well, which is something like Dunkirk. And by that, I don't mean they're similar films, but I mean they're different than Inception. They're different than. Um, like it, really any of the other works, the Prestige, Memento, like like these, uh, uh, this one in particular, like you said, Joe, uh, kind of can reach everyone because it hits on all cylinders and every performance is good. There's not a bad one. Right. Um, like you said, uh, Matt, like the editing is so great. Uh, the the nonlinearity of it, where it jumps back and forth between the court and the old and the World War II and all of those things, uh, it never is convoluted or confusing. It almost feels linear in its nonlinearity. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just so easy to. It's almost like um, it, it's like logical storytelling. Like like when these old things come in just after a more recent. Uh, point in the in the timeline it all just makes sense and tells the story you know what i mean and I, think, I, I feel like that's a pretty big chore
1: yeah i think i i think after um inception he, he, he obviously i think that brought his game to a whole new level and and i liked dunkirk although i didn't like it as much as inception and and i, I was one of those that thought tenet was it was kind of a drop but yeah, i mean it's i not think great. i think he's <laughs> our generations he's our generations uh kubrick yeah As far as making the definitive... Whatever it is, a World War Two movie, or a dreamscape a multiverse film, or a biopic or biopic if you're in the region, um, you know all of those. I think I think that's his goal is to make the definitive of whatever he wants, and and you know, Interstellar being sci-fi with a little bit of family thrown in, um, and you know, swing for the fences. What do you got to lose?
0: The thing that I love about Nolan is, uh, you know, I feel like every decade or so. You get a uh, you find that like um, somebody will make a movie. So take um, let me think here of a, of a good person that would have been before Nolan. Maybe I'll just use Nolan. then. you know, Nolan makes the Batman movies and he does Inception and you start to see other action movies try not necessarily to do what he's doing, but you start to see everyone has that Hans Zimmer music. Everyone has like, boom, 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 yeah. boom, boom, you know, yep. like all of that sound that's really borrowing from that kind of Nolan influence. Mm-hmm. And then after about a decade or 15 years, then you get someone like a Denis Villeneuve who mm-hmm. comes in and starts being as I would argue as um, innovative in a triple a movie level as nolan was when he started and as he continues to be you just don't feel it with nolan maybe as much a lot of times because so many people have emulated him but um so he was the dude he was the guy still making good movies at a top triple a budget and i feel like that doesn't happen enough you know (laughs) right and i
1: would i would say it's funny you mentioned denise i think uh i think he's got a little more emotion he gets a little more emotion out of his actors um but still visually amazing
3: um yeah. so anyway but noted noted yeah yeah yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, go, I do want to say just one more thing about about um this movie is that it, you know and and I'm going to I'm going to get a little shot in on Killers of the Flower Moon before we get started on that one <laughs> but um it, the thing I didn't feel about that movie I do feel about this and you know going back to your um uh, Matt your comparison to Kubrick is that this movie felt meticulously made it felt like every every moment was important and it was just like, it, it was just like you said, reminiscent of, of Kubrick where everything has a place and there's just, there's just something in every single frame that you have to see or else, you know, you blink in and you miss something kind of important, but yeah. I
1: uh, I have a Christopher Nolan story. I'm going to, I'm going to pick up this name I, that I'm going to drop. Uh-huh. Um I have a, I have a friend who was a, a blues DJ for a long time in Chicago. His name is Paul Perillo he now lives overseas and i love paul paul got to be one of eric roberts's goons in bat in in the dark night yeah in in the very first one Uh and he tell he told us he told me about they were shooting this scene in the restaurant and paul accidentally flipped like a fork onto his plate Mm -hmm. cut and and christopher (laughs) Nolan. Came over, walked over to him, and very quietly with his little accent, was going, Could you please not do that? And then went back, and, they, and then they shot it again. So oh, there's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's burning through film, brother.
0: Yeah, right. film
1: don't God. come cheap. You know, that <laughs> yeah.
3: digital nonsense for us.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. Where are we? Number three. That uh, was number. That was your number three, right, Matt? No, uh, that was my. Yeah, that was my number three. Number three. Okay, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, All right, then number, Joe, let's hop over to you, man. Number three. three.
3: All right now we'll go back to my uh, my earlier point about movies about real things. Uh my my number 3 is Air from uh, Ben Affleck. The uh and at the I, this, very this least was, I've
0: seen this. Can we say that?
3: <laughs> all right. This this was my number 1 for a lot of the year um before I really kind of went on a run like I said I hadn't seen a lot of the uh the bigger more acclaimed movies at that point and I I turned this on as a lark and watched um this story about Nike signing Michael Jordan to, to the con- to a contract. And they did what all of these movies um, tried to do. I mentioned Blackberry earlier. These are all movies kind of based on cultural phenomena that, that kind of really hit Tetris, the beanie bubble, dumb money, which I think we mentioned dumb money a, a little yeah. bit earlier. Um, you, we could even say pain hustlers uh, and uh Gran Turismo. If you want to, you know, really dig deep into it. Um the, these are all kind of like real stories like based on a true story sort of thing that that kind of, you know, people made movies about and made interesting movies about. And uh and I don't I don't know why, but this movie just really grabbed me. It was kind of the perfect combination of nostalgia and, you know, there's a lot of drama and. You know, a lot of white men's futures are on the line. And,
2: <laughs> and, you know, and, oh, and I, lo- was, I
1: love that section of the video store, boy. That's yes. <laughs> it's too it was, big. Trust it, me, too it, large of a section.
3: Yes, and, and this, you know, this is a this is you know this is a year of, uh, and I'll and I'll say this that I I just think women kind of ruled the year in a lot of ways, Um, Oppenheimer, you know, notwithstanding. But um this movie was largely white men and they managed to pull in this, just turn it into this, again, this like thriller almost, where they're chasing these people. And there's a lot of great references to, you know, where's Gonzaga and, you know, John Stockton and Charles Barkley, like all these stars of the eighties. But I don't know, somehow they just did this thing where it was just a bunch of buddies together as Affleck and Matt Damon and Jason Bateman uh, Chris Tucker was in there.
1: I was gonna say uh, Viola Davis is gonna kick your ass, and, and Viola <laughs> Davis came I'm in and owned them all. all. Yes. So Chris stand behind her, going, "Hit him again! Hit him
3: again!" Yes, <laughs> I, I was gonna say Viola Davis owned them all. Um, <laughs> yeah, as uh, Michael Jordan's mother, and it, you know, and and you can, you know, I don't know how everybody feels about Michael Jordan. I hated him when he was a player because I was an Indiana Pacers fan, but. Like looking back on him, I'm now like in you know in the uh, in the social media fight of is it LeBron or Michael Jordan? I'm firmly in the Michael Jordan camp, and I, I bought into everything they said about him. All of the wishy washy you know silly nonsense they said at the end about him changing the world like that's true. Like all of that was true, and it, it it's it's really not even overstated. The the just this way that they brought it like you're going to be the greatest thing ever like i was there and i was just like tearing up during this video and the way they they do this toward the end of the movie but um i loved air and um yeah my my number 3 it was it was as you know as we said it was my standard bearer through the through the year until i saw some other movies that that pushed it well, back
1: well well joe as a as a lifelong detroit pistons fan and boy has it been a shit year um <laughs> i was like yeah, Jordan's all great and everything. You're just you're just lucky because he didn't mention you in his Hall of Fame acceptance speech.
2: Right. So, <laughs> there, there's
1: that. Yeah, um, yeah I, I enjoyed it. Actually, Air is another one that I got to see twice. That's mm-hmm. that's oh, nice. really that's really rare, especially mm-hmm. in the second half of the year. Um, yeah. I remember going to a press screening of it, and then uh, we. We had a my, my wonderful wife and I. We had a change of plans that were my fault, and we wound up seeing air that night, and it kind of made things slightly better. I love you, Lynn. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but to also borrow a line from a fellow IFJA member, Chris Lloyd, it's like, not since the engineers in Apollo 13 have there been such pasty heroes as yeah. the guys <laughs> in air. Like, yeah. Yay, the accountants did it. Woo! <laughs>
2: yeah. You know? and,
3: and- ben affleck also made phil knight appropriately weird yes. and sort of douchey and it, i was I was very on board with that yeah
0: yep, yeah very much so yeah i i um air is in my half of the list that i said was like in the good half and there's a distinct cutoff it is yeah. very much in there um significantly lower uh than you but I, I gotta say man this was a re like i watched it and i I had I didn't necessarily want anything more, yeah. From it, like it was what it was, and it was done very well. Mm-hmm. I had a great time, and it's a movie I would definitely recommend to people. Where it's yeah. like, hey, if you're not looking to get your mind blown, just enjoy this movie. Like it's I, just yeah. an interesting, fun, good movie. Yeah, I, and kudos, I
1: agree. I was glad to see it represented. Kudos to Ben Affleck as a director. I mean, yeah. he's he's trying different things. And if it you know, if it if, if he can direct more and and st- stop being photographed, carrying food, um, yes. you know, his life could be a lot easier and simpler. So I, I hope he is able to direct more things and, and try to take more chances. Yeah. yeah big Gone so, Baby
0: Gone fan, by the way, which was his directorial debut, I believe. Very good. <laughs> yeah. uh, very good. Love that movie. Um, all right. Cool. Number three for Joe, Air. Yeah. Uh mine is, and Joe, now you get to talk about it, Spider-Man mm-hmm. across the Spider-Verse, bro. What? Now let me tell you this story real quick. Uh I had not seen into the Spider-Verse, mm-hmm. so I watched that and then immediately watched Across the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. And uh of course, everyone was talking about both of these movies when they came <gasps> out, and it the the level of hyperbole that you hear about these movies, (laughs) like just like the greatest animated movie. And I'm like, I will on principle hate this. Like I want to not like it all. Like I, I I actually don't go into movies like that, but if I felt this kind of, there's no way it is that good. Mm -hmm. And I ended up watching both of these and dude, I'll be damned if these are not so great to me. Mm -hmm. Like I am so excited about the third one. I think these are probably some of my favorite animated movies whether they're superhero or not in years now, I haven't seen stuff like robot dreams and there are a handful of others that would be in this talk, of course. Um, but God damn, is this movie good? I really loved it. It leaves you on a cliffhanger. So spoiler alert there. So I'm Mm -hmm. very excited to see the third one. Um, but, uh, it's on Netflix. So if you haven't seen it, go check it out, Joe, this is on your list. It was what number five.
3: Yeah, it was number five for me. And, um, yeah, I'll even go a little further than you. Um, I, I had seen Into the Spider-Verse, and you know, as uh, even a huge Spider-Man fan, I was like, Yeah, it's fine, you know, like okay. But um, this one blew me away. It it really upped the game uh in ways that I didn't anticipate. I I was not even super excited to go see this when I went and saw it, and I sat down. Um, and and it's another long one. It's what two and a half hours or yeah. something and um it it carries that until just the very end it sort of peters out in the last act um there there was a point where i'm like where are they gonna go with this like i know i knew there was another one coming i was like and then and it sort of just like was like oh yes we got to stop somewhere um but everything else from taking a villain who was a literal joke at the beginning and and really number one making him a real character and not just a joke but then, make giving him real, like real danger, um, as kind of the—I don't know if you want to call him like a secondary bad guy, as it turns out. But um, he. This is he Jason really, the Jason
0: Schwartzman character, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Was, the, the spot who is like, yeah. who the hell's looking for a movie with the spot as the as the villain? And but they really found a way to turn it into something interesting and with real stakes and in real danger. And and um, th- this is not this is not like you know a a cartoony sort of you know animated movie where they make it second tier even even like the justice league movies that they do these days it's like they this is this was like a full fledged thing like it was important and it felt it felt like it had real stakes in a way that a lot of animated superhero movies just kind of don't so I yeah yeah, i really loved it i love the the even the long run time i was very good i i love how they um you know this is not the peter parker spider-man necessarily but i love um, you know, I loved the Gwen Stacy character. I loved the Miles Morales character and all of the tertiary characters that, that were there all felt real. And and it was just a it was a massive triumph
2: to me.
0: I want to say one thing before I ask you if whether you've seen it or not, Matt, but I want your opinion after this. I want to say that all the things, Joe, that you said about Oppenheimer, mm-hmm. about how it's a movie that kind of can get everyone. I feel like if there's an animated movie. Uh, this would kind of be talked about similarly though they're very different films of course and I'm not putting one on a different level they're just different mm-hmm. but like the art style like if you're into animation you don't want it to just be Disney kind of photorealism but also cartoon you know or whatever like if you don't want that style like this is so interesting right. I, I say not Disney and Disney owns Marvel but my point is like uh, it's it's got its own style. It's influenced a lot of others, like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie is kind of similar, which was also good this year. Um, but this... Uh, man, like you said, like there's just something about the characters that I just got really into. You also are really in the Spider-Verse this time, so you're seeing a lot of different Peter Parkers, and you're seeing mm-hmm. a lot of different things, and it feels like it would get really convoluted, but yet again, it's easy to digest. Mm-hmm. There's not anything overly crazy one could argue it's convoluted but i just never had a hard time following it i never felt like it was unnecessary um and sometimes the art gets so artsy that it's (laughs) where it's like literally the screen's just like red and people are like walking around like it's just almost it's not experimental but i mean it's like it's just like a really innovative way to take a story this big Mm -hmm. and a budget and a and a and a franchise this big and tell a story this way i think to an extent it's Um, especially with the first one. And uh, dude, I don't know why I love this so much, but man, I am on the spider verse wagon, bro. Uh, Matt, have you seen this? And if so, what are
1: your thoughts? Uh, Bring us down a little bit. (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah. Oh, did somebody call for somebody to throw a turd in the punch bowl? That's me. Um, Okay. The other, as we were talking earlier about Christopher Nolan, and Christopher Nolan did open the gates that you could have uh, a universe inside a universe inside a universe. I'm really been done with multiverses and cinematic universes. I'm really, I just. You know, now this film looks great. I wish I had more gummies as I was watching it, um, and and maybe if I put the two of them together. The other part is you can make a three and a half hour slam bang film. We've seen it, so you're just doing it in the two parts so that we have to pay more money. <laughs> so I'm, I'm yelling. I know I'm yelling at clouds and get off my lawn and all that. I'm fine. That's you know, but that's just kind of where I was. So I'm I'm in the. I know I'm in the minority. I hate I hate cinema. I hate America. I hate Superman. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> justice, American Way. I love Aunt May, but uh, yeah. but yeah, I'm I I'm not nearly as excited about it as you guys.
0: Yeah, no, I mean you're just wrong. It's fine. So, yeah, what's uh What? No, I'm kidding. Shut,
1: <laughs> shut up, Mike. Shut up, Chris. I know. Dude, I'm so, the carry uh, of this group. I know. Oh, my God. I'm I just almost, as tall as Jeremy Allen White. Yeah,
3: you're the Jeremy Allen White carry, maybe. Yeah. Let's fuck yeah.
1: up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've missed you guys. Okay, Matt, uh, give me your number two. <laughs> number two. Number
1: two. Past lives. Yes. So gang, yeah, this is the one, this was, uh, this was my air, Joe, as far as ranking things. So a great example of probably of an original almost love triangle, a like triangle of sorts of a great use of social media. And what happens when somebody from your past travels a long way to come and see you and, you are asked the question is the grass greener on the other side you could make a hundred of these films in england you could make a hundred really dumb films like these in the united states but because it's a korean american production and the restraint and the the chemistry that the the this trio has especially with greta lee Gre- i hope greta lee gets some more some so statue recognition so so good and writer director Celine song does a beautiful way of capturing uh and making New York City intimate with this big tr- trio that have been you know that're they're wandering and it it was it was like I said just it was you know I, I wasn't as exhausted watching this as naiad but it's 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 tense in its own different way and 100%. I'm really really hoping more people go this is the film that I think should make 300 million dollars but that's just me
0: yeah it is great uh for those who don't know it's about these two deeply connected kind of childhood friends um who basically separated after the female protagonist's family immigrated to America from south Korea Canada to twenty south america what's that I'm sorry Canada then America Canada then America you are correct um yeah you're that <laughs> uh shut up fritz no. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, uh, so but then twenty years later they're reunited, you know, for this one week. But the important thing to note is Nora, played by Greta Lee, is also married. She's married to John uh, Magar- Margaro, or however you say his name. Um, and uh, you'll know him if you see him. If you don't know the name, because I know the face. But but there, it's like what's so great about that? There's a scene, and going back to Bumerville, this you'll be no surprise. Uh, but there's this scene in, in where, um, where uh, Greta Lee and uh, John Margaro are in a bed. And uh, John is asking Greta about this childhood friend that's in town now, right? And um, basically asking some really hard questions. Like, do you have feelings for this person? Are you, like, what is our future now? You know, I mean, just really tough questions. That is, I mean, the movie hooked me before that, but that sequence crushed me because I just kept thinking from his perspective, man, you have this relationship, you've built this relationship, now you're asking really hard questions and they need to be asked. But this is a really tough situation to be in and the truths that are unearthed from this trio, right, mm-hmm. Um uh, Even we'll just say this even when the two love interests talk amongst themselves, the conversation is so good because of how much truth I think is unearthed in those moments, both in performances and in the writing.
1: Yep, this, this, uh, if we're because I love doing double bills at the Bummerville Twin, um, Twin Cinema, but uh, there's a film that came out a few years ago called 45 Years. Yeah, Charlotte Rampling and Tom Courtney It's from the writer and director of all of us strangers, which I know Chris Lloyd, but that was his top film this year. That's with Andrew Scott and 45 years is a couple played by uh, Courtney and uh, Rampling who are setting up this getting ready to have a 45th wedding anniversary party and about a month or so before the party, we find out that the woman that used to be Courtney's girlfriend back when they were very very young um they were mountain climbing and she fell and the body was never found and the body is found and the course of the film is watching this long-term committed relationship unravel and i mean and that's that's kind of playing the long game of that um but i think i think past lives although you know you should go to have marriage counseling and ice cream after if you do a double feature of that but that's the film that reminded me of uh past lives remind me of 45 years which also highly recommend Uh, i'll I'll
3: just go ahead joe go ahead uh, ahead. i was was gonna say i'll just add that it's it's the um the great regret of my cinematic year that um i didn't get to see this movie because we Literally the past, I don't know, three or four weeks, every single day my girlfriend and I have been saying, let's watch past lives, and then we would end up watching something else. It's all consummated, uh, summed up this past uh, Sunday, what is today say, Monday, yesterday, or Saturday night, when we watched Wonka, and um, I hated that movie um, <laughs> so much. Second only this year to the absolutely atrocious White Men Can't Jump remake, but uh, so yeah, that that's my great regret that I didn't get to watch Past Lives because I watched G. So G-dammit.
1: now you're gonna angrily watch Past Lives because Austin and I <laughs> are <laughs> not gonna goading you. Like, no, I'm I'm gonna watch, to watch it Past it. Lives.
3: <laughs> I'm gonna watch it uh, with uh, in shame that I didn't watch it sooner. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. So okay, that's I can helped. tell you that
0: uh, Past Lives does not contain the word bussy. So, oh. um, <laughs> which is in Wonka. So there you go. Yeah. Um,
2: <laughs> you know, so uh... if you're doing I
1: it wanna... in, well, no. One of my favorite things that was a joke during the right the actors' strike was you know they were trying to come up with you know f- real and unreal ways of uh, earning you know raising money for the strike, and one of them was for a certain amount of dollars, Hannah Waddingham would follow you around and just go shame, shame, shame. <laughs> so, so Austin and I are going to cut a check. Yes. <laughs> hey, I'll yeah. take
0: that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I want to say one thing about uh, comparing. You mentioned 45 years, which is great. I was actually just looking at that movie, wanting to rewatch it. Um, because why? Because I like that trip to Bummerville. But my question <laughs> is, uh, did, did either of you ever see the movie the Weekend from like 2013? That's the same filmmaker. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yep. And and uh, wait, no, 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 it's not. Not the Weeknd Weekend, sure? I don't think. No.
2: <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh,
1: no, no. I'm thinking of... No, there's actually a film called Weekend, not the Truffaut film. Is this the yes, one with Jim yes. Broadbent? Say what? Is this the Are you thinking of the film with Jim Broadbent? Yes. Okay, sorry, sorry. My bad, my bad. No, um, no, no. I, was,
0: I know exactly what you were talking about, Weekend, which is the same as... Uh, Andrew uh, Hayes. Yes, uh, thank you. Is, yes. Uh, this is uh, Roger Mitchell, which, which has not made another movie uh, that you would ever think he would make La weekend to me. I don't know. Um, but, uh, anyways, the weekend is about, a, a a couple, um, I'm trying to remember her name, uh, Lindsay Duncan, uh, and okay. Jim Broadbent and they just walk around, uh, Paris, which was where they went on their honeymoon decades prior. And, uh, they're just disgruntled at each other. I mean, they've been a, like with each other for so long that they're just kind of like nitpicking at each other and, and you know uh jim broadbent's nick just annoys lindsey duncan's meg like the whole movie but it concludes with this dinner party with jeff goldblum um awesome. and it is heartbreaking like dude that movie makes me feel so many feelings and, and but it reminds me of a similar thing with past lives done very differently but my point is like 45 years past lives uh the uh, weekend, any movie like this where they unearth these truths and make them feel um, so powerful, and, and in a way that a lot of movies
1: fail, does that make sense? Which, so what you're saying is we need a film about Mom, Pa, Von Eric. Yes. So, <laughs> or not for it. I mean, you didn't give her a whole lot to do. Let her let her sharpen her knives, and let's get into a two woman, two person show about the Von Eric family. just so everybody
0: knows we were talking about the iron claw prior to shooting or uh doing this and i don't think this is out of
1: anyone's system the film that will get more press than any other top 10 in the history of austin's podcast yeah
2: yeah
1: (laughs) all right joe number two
0: man
3: yeah yeah my number two um yeah we'll come back to that von eric thing maybe later Uh, my number two uh from a filmmaker i generally do not like um i at least i've not liked his um couple of other films um but um boy yorgos lanthimos really made a great one with poor things that's my number two uh and <laughs> my god this movie just you know i again you talk about um starting off where you just like sit down and i just like give a big sigh it's like well okay let's see what nuttiness we have in store here we got the you know we got we got a non-american wes anderson here and uh <laughs>
1: And then, you know,
3: (laughs) wow. Listen, I, I hated killing of a sacred deer and I was.
1: No, no, no. You, you mean the killing of a sacred deer? Yeah. Does everybody talk talk like that? (laughs) Right.
3: And And I loved
1: um, the lobster. I I liked, I liked some of the
3: lobster and I just kind of, it lost me somewhere along the way. This one did the opposite and just pulled me in, um, in Uh ways that I couldn't have imagined. Um, my God, you know, it, it has a huge cast that's terrific. Um, you know, even as you see the, the credits rolling, you're like, oh, that guy's in it, that guy's in it, that guy's in it. Then when that when that actor shows up, you're like, oh yeah, I almost forgot he was in this because we're watching Willem Dafoe and this other dude like talking about how they could have been taking advantage of Emma Stone's character this whole time and, you know, the reasons why they couldn't. And, and then uh, she basically goes from... Um, Doing things that made me sort of uncomfortable, um, you know, from an acting standpoint with you know the kind of the acting choices she's making, um, to growing into this character that is kind of a shining beacon of, of feminism and uh, you know, kind of breaking free of men and being her own person and the crazy visuals. It's just like this movie is just incredible. It does some and it has Willem Dafoe blowing bubbles out of his throat for some weird reason. <laughs> and i don't even care because you know and emma stone's <laughs> naked the, through half of the movie well not half the movie but quite a bit and it, it's like that's it, not even the point like i don't even care it's just like i love this movie so much and and uh it, it's it's just kind of a, liber- a movie of liberation and and growing and and self actualization and um i i kind of feel bad even mentioning emma stone being naked now because of
1: no that's no, okay you pig um, <laughs> pervert. yeah weirdo no but there's, this was a film that if if after watching it if you're not talking like emma stone you're talking like mark ruffalo which yes. you know it's not, it's not a bad thing just just a little clarification yeah um uh, willem dafoe plays god sort of yeah. and his it's his nickname. My wife's now giving me looking me, giving me look. So, but uh, but he, he creates it's a woman who is pregnant with a child, and basically the the child's the baby's brain is put into the mother's body. So yes. we get a an incredible mental physical uh, gymnastics performance from Emma Stone. Yes. And I my big takeaway from this, besides the visuals aspects of it, was I didn't notice the change the film goes that's through funny. several stages of of stone's character's life and uh i didn't see it i didn't see the the because he's obviously very kind of awkward and you know mm-hmm. almost like pinocchio without the strings yeah and uh and and so i thought oh that's that's really good and and uh, mark ruffalo over the top CAD.
2: Yes, You yes. don't
1: use CAD enough in these in these in these days and on these streets. So yeah,
2: he,
3: yeah, that yeah, that's that's the the greatest point I, I think is that you know at the beginning Emma Stone is essentially grunting and making baby noises and like she punches someone in the face and. You know, like she's
1: if she if she doesn't like eating something, she just spits it out. And yeah, it, it, as we as we know in the trailer, why don't people do this all the time? I I right. like to use a phrase that was used in NPR, and it's very general. But somebody said if uh, if Mary Shelley made a sex comedy, but it's more than that. It's more yes. than it's, yeah, it, yeah. Mary Shelley's really lent leaned in on the feminist take about uh, mm-hmm. about a creation. I guess yeah,
3: yeah. But but there sort of just is a point where you're right to to your point though is that you know she's she's just grunting and she's a very like a very frankenstein-esque creature for the you know the first third of the movie or so and there's just a point where you're like oh yeah she's like using words now and then and it's like yes she's like forming coherent thoughts and she's now oh she's thinking for herself and she's making choices and now she's now she's intellectually explaining things, and you know it's it's just like this this fantastic growth, and 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 I also love Lanthimos's use of of color, this the cinematography of the film. Yeah. where it's, it's black and white at the beginning, and then later on they go to the, the and it, there's no like real time or place for the movie. There's a moment where they're on a cruise ship and it is almost like quasi futuristic, but it's also really old fashioned looking, and yeah. also this gorgeous color kind of like off in the distance you see just these amazing color this amazing color palette and it's and then it kind of fades and you know comes and goes depending on on you know how the movie is progressing but um and then it just does a few bonkers things again toward the end that that makes perfect sense and you're like oh yes this is what's going to happen and this is going to be fantastic and it does and it is
0: Yep. Yep. I I I read something cuz I haven't seen this of course. <clears throat> but the thing that made this the biggest regret that I I mean I say regret as if I had an opportunity to see it and then didn't. But my point is the the thing that made this like the one that got away was I read this article about uh more of like the feminist take on the movie mm-hmm. and how um this is uh their way of putting it is it's like we had two movies really arguing for women's independence. You have Barbie and then you have the better film, poor things. And whenever I read someone write about that, where it's like, they kind of in a way tackle the same themes, even though it's like very, they're very, very different movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I haven't seen it, so I can't comment on that, but it's like, that made me go, I want to see this really badly
1: now. Yeah. <laughs> it, well, there's no, Will, there's no Will Ferrell in poor things. So you don't yeah. have to tack on the, uh, the pro- product placement aspect of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's, that's the only reason why Barbie didn't make my top ten, but um, I'm patting myself on the back. One of the better moments I had as a cinema father and cinema husband was, uh, and because I am I am notorious for going to my family. We should watch this, and and I tried not to do it with an exclamation point. I tried to do it with a period, and before any of us saw poor things, I I had my family watch The Favorite, and I'm oh, really. Yeah. Happy! I got to do that, especially with the crazy camera lens and yeah, the amazing production design. I mean, both of these, especially the favorite. I mean, it looks expensive as hell, and it yeah. is not the case. And yeah, I, I can't remember which one you said that uh, that that Yargos is, Yorgos is art house Wes Anderson as yes, if Wes right. Anderson is an art house Wes Anderson. But <laughs> I, I, get, I, get
3: I, I call him the non American Wes Anderson. That's right,
1: the non American Wes Anderson. Fair yeah. enough. But, yeah, this no. this was a lot of fun this is also a film that should make 200 million dollars if i have yes. if i was running things
0: i love yeah. that it needs to get in more theaters first because i'm pissed about it well and i think but this anyways.
1: is gonna be one of those that when award season kicks in it will benefit it will so. get reissued because it hasn't been that long since yeah. its release so yeah. finger fingers crossed on that. Yeah. and also i now that i i mentioned it with uh, mark ruffalo i'm like Oh, that'll be the PR people just have a field day. If you have two Marvel guys up for best supporting actor yeah. and then you have to have them together at interviews and yeah. Thunderdome and whatever. So, you know, go at it. You're welcome. Marvel cut me a check. I'll take it. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for the, the, uh, the conservative, uh, backlash to come. And then I think it'll kind of get, know what it really needs so because
1: of the naked because (laughs) of naked emma stone well i
3: i actually read uh, a a review this morning about how woke it was and it was like you know i I wonder if that was a um if that was sort of a parody review but it was pretty good if it wasn't you know because
2: okay yeah so
3: i'm I'm hoping we get a little bit of that of people oh this is an outrage that you know, she's uh, Joe a woman. didn't
0: notice that this was an article written by The Onion, apparently. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. Jokey McJokerson. Yeah, it's gonna yeah well I'm gonna I'm gonna move on. Obviously, poor thing, something that we need to see. Uh yep. and by we I mean me and listeners who have not had an opportunity to see it. Um my number two, I want to jump into, and it was mentioned earlier in Matt's six through ten, which is Anatomy of a Fall. Um, This movie was a movie that actually was kind of not really on my radar at all. And there is an Instagram account that I follow. And whenever they had posted their feelings on it and they were so high, like mm-hmm. the ratings were their their opinion of it was so high. I was like, this is something I need to see. I get on Letterboxd and it's just like crazy good response. And I'm like, wait, what? This is just like a courtroom drama, basically, like, and it's mm-hmm. that good holy shit guys if you haven't seen this uh this movie fucking right there. rules to me um it's about a woman who's suspected of her husband's murder um which it's arguable whether he accidentally died or he was murdered and uh they have a blind son who faces a moral dilemma uh, as the, essentially the sole witness uh, mm-hmm. of the incident but he's blind so there's like you know the whole courtroom thing and the prosecutors and the defense are arguing about how valid his points are. And did he remember this and not this? And this is just kind of a slow burn uh, kind of procedural um, courtroom drama. But most of it's actually not in the courtroom. I call it that, but but that's like the crux of the entire thing. Most of it is at the house. Most of it's following Sandra Hewler's uh, life basically after her husband has Uh, allegedly from her perspective fallen out of a window and died Mm -hmm. Uh, and so um, she has to juggle you know uh, having a blind son now and she also has to juggle the fact that he's a witness and the state won't let her keep him and in in fear of uh, influencing him and she has to deal with uh, this lawyer friend that they have and he's like her only companion through the movie because she has no one else, because she was German, and then she moved to France for her husband, but now he's dead, so she has no one. She's literally out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, this movie <clears throat> made me question the entire time, and this is a rarity, whether it actually happened or not. <laughs> like, like, did she actually kill this guy, or did he die? Like, I, and I'm not going to give that away, uh, my, my, my perception of it, I guess. One could argue the end, because it's still a little, like... You can argue kind of either way, I think. But I think there is a clear ending in my view. But man, this movie was really powerful to me. And it was funny enough, I posted this on Instagram as a story, just saying like, this movie rules. I had more people message me from that post saying like, dude, it's so good, isn't it? Which in my <laughs> mind, I'm like, of all the movies, Anatomy of a False, the one, I'm getting just tons of messages about but man, this movie is something, Matt. I know that you didn't get a chance to talk about it much because we were blazing through the six through ten no, no. list. But give me your thoughts right. on this.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's on my number eight. But yeah, it's it's nice to watch because it's 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 a murder mystery, it's a courtroom drama, and it's a family drama all weave together beautifully. And I think. When people use the term mystery, I think we're used to this. Now we've had a revival of the mystery era involving Kenneth Branagh and his mustache, of of how things are set up a certain way, and and so the fact is that we you really don't know who you know there's a lot of mystery films and they're good you can still enjoy the ride even if you call it 5 minutes into it 10 minutes into it i love you presumed innocent but um but there are those films and that is not the case with this you are just along for a, a, a not a roller coaster ride it's kind of it's it's choppy and really good performances across the board especially with sandra huler who like i said you mentioned i think is is you know I, I hope she is able to continue to make really solid work as opposed to getting really big American checks and show up in shitty Hollywood movies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really, really dug the, the tangled web that this film weaves. And uh, you know maybe watching it a second time, I can get it higher. But yeah, I'm really, really happy that this is one has caught on the folks that uh that have connected with you austin that's and i think it's part of the reason why we do these is is to champion something that doesn't open on five thousand screens and yeah know, it's it's like the uh i i'm gonna butcher the analogy but it's like uh the velvet underground where you know like a thousand people bought the album but a thousand bands were started because of that album
0: yeah 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 and yeah. and and it sucks because yeah this isn't gonna show up anywhere in theaters around here you can rent it on prime video for 5.99 who's fucking worth doing it. that in this day but i think it's completely worth it uh other than me because i rent movies all the time but my point is like uh this movie is totally worth it again this feels like a french drama i mean like it's very much like that kind of vibe uh, at least how i interpret it and it's, uh, it, it's a bit of a slow burn, but it's just so captivating. I remember I started it and uh, I was just thinking like, man, is, this is really, this is like, all right, this is what I'm in for. You know, just kind of a slow burn kind of French style movie, that European style. And then uh, as it went on, man, I, just like you said, these little mystery, uh, these little things they're throwing in the hat, so to speak, right? And, uh, man, it just really got me. And there's nothing, there's not a scene in any movie this year, like the sequence with the blind son and the dog. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. And I don't know how they did that. I don't know what they did to this dog to get a performance from a dog like this. Like they did something unethical, I feel, but we're not, I'm not going to dig into it, (laughs) but like, I don't know if they roofed this dog or what, but, um, but uh, something happened and it was like, I was like kind of on the edge of my seat in this weird, just little mystery drama movie. Uh, I loved it. Joe, did you get a chance to see this by chance? I I did. And I'll, and I'll be the contrarian a
3: little bit and say that I, I I sort of petered out on it and, you know, toward the end, I I was on board for some of it and I enjoyed some of it. Um, I, I agree about Sandra Hewler and her performance and, um, the the stuff with the sun was in particular is pretty captivating. But by the time the, the, the trial started, I just sort of checked out after a while. It's like, and, and I'll tell you the story of it. I, I watched it on a Saturday morning. Um, and toward the end of, of our rush. And I was uh, trying to squeeze it in before my girlfriend's kids woke up for the day. And, 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 and then I, I, tore, I was like, I've been watching it for two hours and, and, uh, I'm like, I hear them like moving around upstairs. I'm like, hurry up and be done. And, <laughs> and then there's like another half hour to it. And I was like, this damn movie didn't need to be two and a half hours long. And so I got, you know, I got a little upset with it,
0: but um,
3: it, I, is two, it, it is straight it. up
1: two and a half hours too, by the yeah. way. Yeah, <laughs> like weird. 152 I, minutes. Joe, I, I've been there. I've heard, I've been watching a movie. And I hear scurry. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: So, there is, uh,
2: uh, I so, say yeah. I
3: liked it, but I didn't love it as much as you guys. Obviously, you guys are singing its praises. I also felt the same way about uh, The Zone of Interest, which I was just like, oh, I don't see these damn Nazis going with all this stuff in the background. <laughs> I know what's going on here. But there's, I know but there's more horrible. family
1: members than Nazis in that film. <laughs> right, I know. Like They're what all I'm Nazis. Hear- no, they're all Nazis. Sh- they all what know. I'm hearing
3: listen. is there
0: weren't enough uh, of the cast of Avengers movies in it is what I'm hearing, Joe. Listen. <laughs> listen here. All
3: they needed kidding. all they needed was a Hemsworth, and I would have been happy, okay?
1: <laughs> Problem is it would be Jerry Hemsworth. <laughs> I know,
0: right? All right, all right. Let's move forward. Um, that was my number two. We are at number one now, actually. One. And by the way, let me just say, making killer time, all right? Yeah, An hour yeah. and 15 minutes right now. That is more than half of the last time and
1: more,
3: more than, than half a, more than a quarter than the
0: runtime of matt's number one
1: <laughs> <laughs> well um not, oh my, no. not my number one smart ass <laughs> you, you shut up <laughs>
3: Not right, the give it to Same time
1: as Flair Garvin going for a draw. How do you like that's that? That's right.
3: That's right. At least that's interesting.
0: <laughs> oh my
3: god,
1: shots. Fucking
0: fired. Holy sorry, moment. I apologize.
3: I could called Ronnie Garvin interesting.
1: <laughs> oh man.
3: Whatever.
0: <laughs> okay,
3: sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay.
1: My number one, ladies and gentlemen, and those that are neither ladies nor gentlemen. It uh, shouldn't really be a surprise because this is a film that runs into my wheelhouse. Old, straight, white guys with problems. Mm-hmm. Alexander Payne's The Holdovers.
2: Oh, okay. cool.
1: Starring mm-hmm. Paul Giamatti, who will maybe get a statue this year. I don't know. But he is a, a burnt out teacher at a boys prep school in 1970. And he is forced to stay over at a boys' prep school during Christmas break and take care of the young men who are not able to go home for the holidays. Mm -hmm. And he is backed up by Divine Joy Randolph. I'm sorry, Golden Globe winner Divine Joy Randolph as the school's cook. And Dominic Sessa, who should star in the early stages of the Gary Sinise story as one of the uh, rebellious <laughs> students that uh, Giamatti's got to take care of. Alexander Payne wanted to make a 70s film. Um, I can't wait for the special features on this. If you're a fan of The Graduate, Five Easy Pieces, The Last Detail, very 70s character-driven film of, uh, of class and structure... And in this case, it takes a village to raise a family. And this does, is a burnt-out teacher and a, and a cook uh, to help raise this kid who's just got screwed over by his mother and stepfather. Um, it's it, it just hit all the sweet spots for me of my favorite era of cinema in the 1970s. Really character-driven, beautiful score, beautiful use of music. It reminds me of... Um, Ah, uh, Cat Stevens' score in Harold and Maud, which is another one I would probably add to this list. Yeah. And uh, yeah, as G- Giamatti's is kind of academic, grumpy old man. A bit, but um, as the film goes on, we find out more and more about his character and how he winds up at the school. And I was, I was just riveted. I mean, it was, it was for me, it was, it was as electric as anything in Oppenheimer. So, yeah. So, so there you go. Yes, this this even went above Scorsese, and now that's another chat for another time. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Uh I. No, please, Joe. Go ahead.
3: Okay, I I was going to say this. This was just outside of my, you know, my top. I I think maybe it was near twenty. Um, but no, you're you're spot on with all of that. Um, I love Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti and Alexander Payne together are are magic most of the time, and and they certainly were here. Um, he also had my favorite my favorite insult of the year, Dude. which was calling Did the kid cancer a, a genuine troglodyte. And oh I
2: was, yes, that yes, was
3: the beginning, really and I love that, and I've used it several times since I've seen it. Yep, and You're- the
0: penis cancer one's great too.
3: By the way, <laughs> yes. yes, there's a bunch of them, but I loved a genuine troglodyte.
1: And there is there is a there's a lovely homage to five easy pieces mm-hmm. about a, about uh cherry's jubilee that. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 just a reminder. Sometimes we have a long ways to go, but yeah, troglodytes. Yeah. Is, that's that's pretty good. Yeah.
0: and there's out. a great scene with Paul Giamatti trying, and I used the word trying to throw a football. That was really great. <laughs> um, no, this is a uh, this is like Alexander Payne, and I didn't. He, It's not that Alexander Payne Payne is hit or miss for me. It's just some of his movies really connect with me and some don't. Like Sideways, I think it's a good film. I just don't connect with it as much. Uh, But like The Descendants, I'm a big fan of. I love Election. I love like Nebraska was cool. Like they're just all kind of all over the place, but there's a common feel. And this is like Alexander Payne. Via the lens of Hal Ashby or something, you know what I mean? There we like, go. That's, like a great, it's, that's a great comparison. It's like it's like he remade a Hal Ashby movie that was never made. Like, you know, like, uh, like it's just it's it feels so great in that way. And I mean, you mentioned two Hal Ashby movies, <laughs> like, so the well, comparison's still there. But um, yeah, I immediately thought of things like Harold and Maude. I didn't think of the last detail, but that's a good shout. Just that sort of vibe. And there's something about this movie where it's genuinely funny. Like I laughed out loud quite a bit and I wish it was higher on my list. But if I'm honest with myself, it's where I want it. But it's Mm -hmm. like, I love it so much that it's like, I want this to just be a part of my Christmas. Like, yeah, I'm mean, i not calling it a Christmas movie per se, but it takes place during Christmas. So it's like, I would watch this during the holidays just for the vibe. Like, Like I'm into it. But what I wanted to say real quick is, like what's so great is this movie is laugh out loud funny to me at times. Like I I laughed out loud when Paul Giamatti threw the football, even like that's the the troglodyte line. Like there are some great lines and part of it is the performance. Like he delivers those lines so well. Like there's a point where this kid in class, he gives him an F the kid goes, I can't fail this class. And he's like, well, don't sell yourself short. I think you very much <laughs> like, can fail this class. You yeah. know, just these little lines in the way he delivers them, that fake eye where it's just like off, you know. Have um, you
1: heard about his eye acting?
0: No, no. What, tell me.
1: Uh well, he won't tell. But oh. some, somebody, I think it was Entertainment Weekly, somebody did a piece about because his character has a lazy eye, and there's a little moment that he and, uh, and Dominic Sessa kind of bond over it, yeah. and and he goes, "I can't," and, and he told the magazine, "I can't tell you how I do it." Yeah. So yeah. I'm so because it's either one or two things. One, he's got uh, you know false eye, false uh, uh, contact lens that he puts mm-hmm. over it, or Paul Giamatti's is just fucking amazing and can act with his eyes. So. Yes. I'm, I'm kind of yeah. good either way there. The yeah. other thing that mentioned, first off, and, and you mentioned, thank you for mentioning Hal Ashby. That's also my appearance inspiration. <laughs> if you've ever seen I Hal, see I, I dress like Hal Ashby when he shoots a film. I'm happy to say yeah. that. So yeah. with the sandals and jeans, look and there's a, I can't remember the name, but there's a great documentary about Hal Ashby that everybody should watch. But, um, it's kind of a slower hangout film. And, and I know that's become a phrase like um, uh, sideways is my, one of my all time favorite road movies, road trip films. And I think recent hangout films, like once upon a time in Hollywood and licorice pizza. And I think this is like that, but slower.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like the, the idea of being isolated from everybody. There's something sort of attractive to it, especially if you're watching game shows with, uh, with divine, that's not bad, and making the road trip to Boston and going to the party and going to the bar. I wanted a cheeseburger and a Miller High Life. Miller High Life is not my 30th choice for a beer, but I would have one at this place with that pinball machine and try to stay away from the townies. Um, it's just... <laughs> It is it, it's, it's one of those universes I I wanted to visit, even though it's yeah. it's 1970 and there's issues with hair and class and <laughs> and, uh, and you know the rich and stupid as as, as, as yeah. refers to his students, the future the future uh, power holders of America. God help us all. Yeah, it's, I, I want to
3: compare it. I want to compare it to number one. I got a couple a couple of quick things I want to say. Um, yeah. Number one, I I want to compare it to a a different road trip movie about a uh, a bratty kid and his uh and his older uh maybe uh less than consensual mentor and that that's uh nineteen ninety one I think uh, a movie called Dutch with Ed O'Neill with Ed
2: O'Neill yeah wow um,
3: I, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna call it I don't know it's a, I can call it a slower version of Dutch um it's but it's uh it's another it's another movie I love that. Um a lot of people haven't seen, but um there are certainly some echoes there. But um, you know, you mentioned uh, Divine Joy Randolph, and she was fantastic. Um, and I'm I'm really glad she won the Golden Globe. Um but um but speaking of the Golden Globe that Paul Giamatti won, um, I don't know if you guys saw the, the thing last night. I there, did. There's <laughs> a, yeah, there's a, a tweet going around Paul Giamatti sitting at an in an out Burger with his golden globe um after the show was over he he promptly went to in and out burger sat down in the restaurant with his golden globe and and had uh, a celebratory dinner
1: the only thing missing would be a bottle of expensive ass wine in a paper bag yes that's yes that's
0: exactly right
3: i was
1: gonna say miller high life because
0: of the movie but the wine's a lot better yeah Uh, yeah.
1: (laughs) i got into it there's there's a watering hole that i hang out at not not for football but um but I got into it with a guy because we were, we were discussing movies. And by the way, if you're the guy, if you're the person, and I'll use Paul Giamatti as a case, if you're the person who says he'll always be pig vomit to me, punch yourself in the face. <laughs> just, just punch yourself in the balls. Punch yourself in the face. That's just really limited and sad. It's yeah. like saying Daniel Radcliffe will always be Harry Potter and nothing else. Right. I mean, t- grow up.
2: You know, just yeah. like you
1: don't want to be compared to whatever hideous nicknames we were given in school. You don't want that hanging over your head for the rest of your day. We evolved. So yeah. to that to that guy at the bar in Richmond, up yours.
0: Yeah. Yeah, dude. Give it to him.
1: No, I did. Uh, the, the,
0: uh, the, I want to say something really important. I think about at least my experience watching it is, of course, like when it when this movie starts, it feels like it's going to be oh, OK. Can they? coexist like that's what the movie feels like it's just going to be you have these three very different people um can they coexist and then as the movie goes on you start to realize that it really does become this movie about like bonding and and uh softening of the hard edges and and learning about people and maybe not you know judging the book by its cover and all the cliches you could bring up but the greatest thing about this is it's laugh out loud funny at times but this is, for me, man, that's a hyperbolic statement, but I'm going to say it anyways because you'll get what I mean. It's it's one of the sadder movies of the year for me as well. Not not as yeah. a whole, but more... Well, let me rephrase that. So these characters, These characters are some of the saddest characters, maybe I should say, because each of them have... There are three different sad backstories of yeah. each of these people, and they are horribly sad, but the film does not beat you over the head with these things this is kind of a just a character development thing this is more about the journey with these three characters but goodness gracious i mean divine joy randolph's son died in vietnam and she's still dealing with his death that's dark and they don't make a huge deal about there are scenes dedicated to but that's not what the film's about Without, per se, but she, her character deals with that from beginning to end, right? I won't ruin what um, Paul Giamatti's character uh, dealt with and what his baggage is, but that is like yeah. even as an academic as well. Like I understand, <laughs> yeah, like like I yeah. kind of get where he's coming from to an extent. I haven't had that experience, but it's like like I know why he's a curmudgeon. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. the kid, I mean, dude, his mom and stepdad intentionally left him at school so they could go on a vacation without him yeah
1: that's such a ball yeah. like my i'm sorry my wife and i by the way my my wife the most talented actor i know nods in agreement about your your the sad story aspect of it mm-hmm. but i mean in the past and it's a smaller version but like we have we've hosted thanksgiving orphans You know, students who couldn't get home for the holidays for whatever reason. I mean, it's just—it's one afternoon. It's not—we're not stuck with them for two weeks, and I'm not taking them to Boston. But, but there, there is that empathy, there is that uh, connection aspect of it that really kind of hits home. And you know, it's—it's good to be with somebody on the holidays, especially if you're going through a shit storm. I mean, that
0: last—I'll just say the last scene with with uh, Dominic Sessa and Paul Giamatti by the trailer. I'll just say it that way. Yep. Um, that actually choked me up a little bit. Uh, yep. That that scene is so powerfully acted, just that little moment and after you've experienced the whole
1: movie um, I just found this surprisingly effective. Simple, no score and again not giving away what you're not giving away but also a final middle finger at the very end of the film yeah. with, with Giamatti's character that just is spot on.
0: Yeah, so and it's it's one of those
1: things. You can hug somebody, but you can also like you two. whack well, him with you two, but you, you know you give a little shove along yeah. the way or a little bat on the arm, or you call him Mike or Chris. Yeah so
0: i'm so happy this is so high on your list and uh, i'm yeah. glad we got to talk about it because i love it and dear it was,
1: criterion i want a two disc treatment of this
0: yeah all the all the supplements all
1: <laughs> yep make, make, make it make let it make make me watch it for a whole weekend going through all the special features
0: yeah dude well joe where do you what is your number one disappoint me brother <laughs> no i'm just kidding, no, just kidding. <laughs> i'm just kidding just kidding. Well, go ahead move! After we talked about
3: all of that, um, yeah, I I also chose an, uh, a very small art film as my number one. The Marvels. Yeah, no, it's not the Marvels. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, I, I mean you know, I talked about poor things at number two, uh and then and then one of you talked about this trying to ruin things. My number one is Barbie. Barbie oh, cool. is my number one, <laughs> and okay. I you know, I I I didn't watch this forever um and boy i don't i you would ask me a couple of years ago if i would ever thought that a movie about barbie would be the best movie of the year um but i i watched that my my daughter hyped it up to me for weeks and weeks and months and of course the rest of the world did as well yeah and i was just like okay well let's watch it and see what happens and it somehow exceeded all my expectations um it it, is it sort of a remake of the lego movie yeah but (laughs) it, it also like killed the patriarchy dead like Killed it dead by itself. Like I know Emma Stone came in at the end and like cleaned up, but boy, they you know like there was uh, Margot Robbie just like stabbing the shit out of the patriarchy over and over, and uh, <laughs> Emma Stone. Lovely just image. <laughs> but uh, I and and I I don't know. I loved every second of it. Um, it was over, and I was like, give it all the awards, give it everything, and I I'm sure it's gonna get something. Um, I sure hope it does because, you know, I I really just want to hear them say Barbie again and again uh, at the Oscars. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think everybody's probably seen it by now. Um, and I, I just I watched it and had the best time I could have possibly had with the movie. Um, it's a crowd pleaser. It's a mainstream movie. And it it gives important lessons to people that a lot of times movies like this would would take sort of a cynical tack, although, you know, this one certainly does that, but you know, it would take a little cynical tack and just turn into a crowd pleaser and, and do something silly. This one instead kind of, uh did something uh, kind of poignant and, and uh, meaningful. And, and I kind of appreciate that. Sure.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, uh, Matt,
0: do you have thoughts?
1: Well, uh first off, I think if you, if you want uh lower, ca- I shouldn't say lower, but um, yeah. different categories. If you want, if you want two Rams butting heads, production mm-hmm. design Barbie versus poor things. Yes. That's that's Thunderdome Crazy. right yes. there. So yes. both look amazing. I yeah. could go it could go great either way.
2: Mm-hmm. No,
1: I I absolutely enjoyed the film. My one quibbles I mentioned are all the scenes with Will Ferrell. Yes. And yes. it's kind of like it's kind of like The Rules and the Scream just because you make a wink and a nod to Mattel, mm-hmm. you're still you're still making a film about a toy. Yeah. And and I know and, and you know I'm, I'm I've seen photos or artwork, whether they're satirical or not, of the new Mattel universe. Yeah, and and yeah, that's, that's that's frightening. So, yeah, that, that that, makes
3: that, me sad. Yes. Yeah.
1: So but, just because you have Will Ferrell in a suit chasing, oh, it's the suits. You know, you could have, yeah. you could have taken all of that out mm-hmm. and just had two different universes. Yeah. Well, you know, the real world and the Barbie world. And, th- and that would have been absolutely fine. You would just had ten minutes of less chasing. Yes, so that's <laughs> yeah. the only reason why it's not on my top ten.
0: Yeah, I will say this because I'm I'm not gonna. I, I liked the movie again in my positive side of, of of my half here. Um, yeah, I I, I liked Barbie. We, my wife and I actually did Barbenheimer. so we saw uh, Oppenheimer in the afternoon and Barbie in the early evening, nice. and um, and uh, it was a it was a good day. Uh, and and we had a great time. <laughs> about dying. Um, i had an existential breakdown afterwards yes but uh but the thing about barbie i I do want to give it credit um on this is the i feel like if the humor hits you well Mm -hmm. this movie is a whole lot better you know what i'm saying Uh, mm-hmm. And it, a lot of it just wasn't the humor for me. So mm-hmm. that that's really the only thing. Because I, my favorite part of it was all the patriarchy and all that, which mm-hmm. seems like it's beating you over the head if you think about these things often. But yeah. in my mind, I'm like, but this is such a widespread movie. A bunch of fucking plebs are going to learn about patriarchy. This is going to be yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. And it was like important in that way. Like I loved it. Um, but the the thing is at toward the end. And mm-hmm. since everyone's mostly seen and I'm still not going to ruin it because I can't bring myself to do it. But mm-hmm. there's a, a point where she's talking to an older lady toward the mm-hmm. very end, and yeah. it kind of has a pretty serious turn. Like in this one scene, that was my favorite scene the whole movie. Yes, like, great, this yeah, this moment great. where she's where she's thinking in this like uh, this world that she has never existed in, and mm-hmm. you're seeing these almost like fucking like Malik or like old. Uh, um, Nolan style like interludes of like this mm-hmm. kid running around playing, and I'm just like, this is the emotional hit that I wanted. This like, you know what I mean? Like, not that it needed to be that. I just really loved that moment, so I got to give it, um, props for at least actually going there as well. Like, that's a pretty brave move for the <laughs> end of the movie, pretty much. Yeah, to just like kind of get real serious. Mm-hmm. In a movie that is pretty much goofy and like you said, like really making a statement, but also like playing with the history of this um, IP, basically, that is universally known. You know what I mean? Um, But yeah, it was it was a fun time. Oh, yeah, um,
1: okay. I, I want to mention, yeah, kudos to Rhea Perlman. It's always great to see her, especially in a yep. film this big. And yep. America Ferrara, who gets a slam bang of a monologue mm-hmm. um, about halfway through the film. And and uh, while I, I dismiss the, uh, the Will Ferrell Mattel stuff, I do also like, appreciate the fact that the film catches itself by having Helen Mirren voice over the film, and about, was it yeah. two-thirds of the way through the film, going, we know the producers cast Margot Robbie to play a road of barbie just to acknowledge. Yes, right. all of this stuff is also, you also have one of the most beautiful women, not named Lynn, on mm-hmm. the planet in your league. <laughs> so,
2: <Nice>. you
1: know, <laughs> that, it, it, helps. it helps. Yeah it helps that you were able to to mention that. So yes. so thank yeah. you Ms. Gerwig and Mr. Bomback for, for whoever wrote that.
3: Well I'll I'll say that the thing that that impressed me the most is that they the you know uh, you know Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach and everyone else who participated in making this movie they took the symbol so they basically they they show a journey a lot like poor things. Let me let me back up a little bit. Much like poor things they take um a, a woman who in a world set up for her to never be able to do this, like in almost whether you can say intentionally or not, it is set up so that they are not able to do this. And they, they sort of achieve this self-actualization or this, this ability to um, break free of, of these, you know, the, the bonds that they're in, if I, I sound pretentious for a second. And they, and they achieve this massive growth. They do this thing on their own when everything external to them is fighting against them. And they do this in the context of a character who is pretty much the symbol of that sort of oppression. You know, this is like the symbol that, that you know, feminists in the 60s and 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, up to today, up, to, up until the moment this movie was made, actually looked at Barbie as the symbol of of kind of stymieing women's rights because Barbie was always traditionally like in this subservient role. Like, you know, the, the whole math is hard controversy and the whole, you know, like all of that stuff, like, you know, Barbie was designed to be glamorous and, you know, she was glamorous and she was beautiful. And like, these are the most important things about her and look at these physical standards that you'll never meet. Yes. She's the perfect woman and not you. And you're supposed to aspire to that. And they use that symbol to completely subvert all of that, and they and they made Barbie a feminist icon, and I I am still s- sort of not quite sure how, but it it was so well done, and it hit you know, and and I want to say that you know I always want to say the most important movies to me are the ones that reach a lot of people with a good message, and that's exactly what they did. That's kind of the biggest triumph of this whole thing is that little girls can watch this and and learn these lessons and and know them.
0: Yeah, I, I think. Regardless of where I would place Barbie on a list, which is arbitrary Mm -hmm. anyways, but um, the thing with with Barbie is exactly what you just said. They take an icon that represents one thing, Mm -hmm. and they are able to build hype for this so that so many people go to see it, and -hmm. then they give you a message that many of those people need to hear. And I think that makes me so happy that this exists that make I don't care how I feel about it as a movie this is important you know it's culturally
1: important
0: to me so um, on that level I love that it's on your list uh, is and,
1: you is know. this the film that will make Tucker Carlson want to cheat on green m ms
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm pretty sure that he did yeah i'm I, sure I think mean, he I absolutely did he with and the and actual
1: Dallas, the not with ms robbie of course yeah. but yeah you know, oh, just and,
3: and, and i was gonna say that's that is the reason austin i i did nudge it ahead of poor things is just because like i i think poor things is maybe a better film it's very likely a better film kind of to your point but this was able to do that same job this made the same statement but in a way that the, the people who otherwise wouldn't have yeah. watched it are able to watch it and will. And, and a generation of girls will internalize that um, in in a way that, in, you know, as opposed to watching this, like yeah. I said, superior film in a lot of ways, but that not as many l- young girls will see.
0: Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. I'm glad it's there. Um, so uh, I guess we'll jump over to my number one. This is uh, right. a chance for Matt and I to be able to talk. Uh, so you can just fuck <laughs> right off, Joe. Uh, no, my number one is Martin Scorsese's *Killers of the Flower Moon*. Um, this was the movie that I went to see on a whim with my buddy. I love that Joe just a whim. <laughs> no, I um, I I kind of yeah, because I didn't know if I'd see it in theaters Not because I didn't want to. I just didn't know if I was going to be able to find the three hours to do it. Um, and, uh, and but there was this one Saturday where I <laughs> where I had um a chance to go, and my buddy just uh. Uh, out of the blue was just like hey man i'm going to see killers of the flower moon do you want to go and i was like actually i have time let's do it um and i went and i didn't know what to expect because though i love so many martin scorsese movies and for being as at his age most directors start going downhill and he's still making bangers i'm not saying everything's a banger but it's like when you have shit like Wolf of Wall Street, The Irishman. I'm talking about in the last 10 years, right? Yeah. I think Silence is a masterpiece, but also Bummerville. Um, <laughs> Killers of the Flower Moon. Like like any of these, it's like, dude, the cinematic visionary that this guy is, yep. I just don't get it. And I kept watching Fla- Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, the trailer, and sometimes it bothers me. This is just a personal nitpick of all movies that do this sometimes it kind of takes me out of it when I can tell most of the surrounding location is CG or like you know what I mean or like they just had big yeah. green screens and I understand there are budgetary things and all that but it dude when I saw the trailer to this and I noticed that uh, at first I was like I'm probably not gonna like this as much as I want to did not affect me at all when I'm watching this like it was uh I was able to immerse into this I love that Martin Scorsese had such a heart to do right by the Osage people and was able to essentially create a film using Native Americans uh trying their his best uh at least from what I've heard and and read uh trying his best to be as uh, faithful to these situations as he can, while also making a straight-up Scorsese movie. Like yeah. this is basically a gangster movie without like
1: proper mobsters. You, <laughs> you know, what yeah, I mean, yeah. like, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. look not not every filmmaker gets, and yes, we can talk about whether he was right to direct it, or right not to direct it, what have you. You know, not every director gets a 200 million dollar budget from Netflix. We should always be so lucky, but I think he put the work in. And as far you know the location stuff, it's not Death on the Nile. Yeah. You know, where a film that looks like absolutely none of it was shot on location. This at least, as well as yes. I do want to mention it as a side note, Ridley Scott's Napoleon, where some he's also in his 80s and he's shooting on location whenever possible. Yeah. So so the fact that yeah, he's that Scorsese is still swinging for the fences, tackling a major black eye in American history. And it's funny you mentioned the crime drama because as I was watching it, especially in the second half, it's like it has the 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 elements of goodfellas, only these guys aren't nearly as smart. Um, yeah 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 the whole thing was you know oh we just poisoned them and then we inherit the land it's as simple as that you know shoot this guy in the back of the head no you shot him in the front why would you do that you know one and and just a series of dominoes that start to fall because these guys aren't the brightest bulbs in the lamp and you know they probably went to paul giamatti's school as as children young rich and stupid
2: yeah
1: and uh you know and and uh Kudos to Lily Gladstone, Golden Globe winner, Gladstone, who, yeah, who right. had to bounce off of you know Leonardo DiCaprio and his jawline punching you in the face. Yeah. And uh, you know, Robert De Niro doing his Trump impression, especially in the last third of the film, which is fine. Uh, and Jesse Plemens, and I can't remember his name, but the dude who ran the gross, the uh, gas station in No Country for Old Men. Yeah I'm glad he oh, had a yeah charlie yeah. muscle white one of my favorite blues harmonica players had a part um it, it is yeah i uh i saw it on a thursday afternoon it was like four o'clock i stopped consuming liquids at noon so <laughs> and seriously that's been the biggest gripe and yes if there was an intermission the, the filmmakers would have put an intermission in there there's not Deal with it. So I was able to get through it without using the bathroom. And if I can do it, and I'm 50 and I'm a week, then y'all can do it too. <laughs> but this is what it's yeah not as not as uh, riveting as say Oppenheimer, but I was still in it. I was still in it. I'm glad I got to see it on a big screen. And uh, yeah, it's you know Scorsese loves doing films about guilt. That's why you know you have Bummersville Methodist for silence yeah. yeah, and we have the bummersville casino i guess for for killers of the flower moon but uh but yeah it, it tackles the stuff that scorsese likes to talk about and he's also able to open hopefully some more eyes to uh you know not the greatest time in american history
0: yeah yeah it's i just want to say this and then joe i want your thoughts yeah, on it yeah, yeah. um uh i think part of what what I like about this more, this is personal. I'm not talking about quality of the film and I'm not even trying to come close to being objective. Um, with Oppenheimer, um, I feel like with Killers of the Flower Moon, when when looking at those two, I think Oppenheimer is doing something. It's taking something I think is is less riveting in terms of action, right? So you're not going to get a lot of action in Oppenheimer. Like It's very much more uh, philosophical in terms of where the horrors come from. Will and, the Bob go off, you know, kind of. Yeah. And so, but, but he does it so well that it makes it the literally the best version that I think that movie could be. Right. Um, and killers of the flower moon for me just has like a more compelling story it's kind of like we keep joking about the iron claw and i don't think the iron claw is necessarily that great of a film but that story is so just inherently good like it's just a captivating story that it will be a good movie almost unless you make it unless you try to make it bad right and so and and that's kind of how i feel about Killers of the Flower Moon, it's like not only do you have that quality where I think this, not that the story is good, it's actually terrible. These are probably the most evil people. Uh, they're up are They're, they're t- Hitler tier to me. <laughs> like yeah. they're terrible fucking people. These people for, for those listeners that haven't seen Killers of the Flower Moon and just haven't, you know, you've been under a rock. This is literally a movie about a bunch of white folks trying to basically steal money from the Osage people who had oil on their land and became rich as hell and yeah. so all these white folks are marrying all the women and killing off all the men and then killing the women so that they can inherit the money that you know it's just a way to funnel money back to white folks so yeah. that they can keep power and yeah. uh it's that i that's just my ballpark bumerville check like uh like scorsese fucking mobster shit check yeah. like um, you know, I, I, I have feel- yeah guilt check. Like, uh, but but the um, uh, Lily Gladstone is amazing. And at first, I didn't know how to feel about her. But man, by the time you get halfway through that, if anyone's not like she deserves every award, I'm just like, fuck off like 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 that's how i because she's so good in this especially especially toward the end when she's we'll just say when she's like having almost like fever dreams we'll say it that way um in those moments so powerful so reserved so intentional um i love it i think she outworked leonardo even though dicaprio is the one getting all this credit um
1: he does a lot of heavy lift acting lifting you know yeah he yeah i have
0: feelings about leonardo dicaprio Mm -hmm. nothing personal, but just more of like, I don't think he'll ever get past a point of immersion where I don't see Leonardo DiCaprio anymore. Like every time I, every role he's ever done, I go, oh, that's Leonardo DiCaprio doing this performance. And that's Mm -hmm. not to say he's bad. It's just a different kind. Lily Gladstone just immerses, you know, like uh, it's like um, Daniel Day-Lewis in There Will Be Blood. Like that motherfucker's not Daniel Day-Lewis. He is a fucking oil tycoon. You know, like like he just immerses. He's just gone. Like, I just see this character. And so, yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio is playing pretty heavy in this. But I think he does a great job. That's not to denigrate it. I'm just saying it's a different type of thing. Yeah. And Lily Gladstone's just so good. Also, for Robert De Niro being old as fuck, that dude, this is like a chance. They gave him room to breathe. Like, I actually thought he was very good in that specific role I, yeah. you, you made the joke about his trump impression which is hilarious but it's like if anything that just makes him more of a despicable like <laughs>
1: like like freaking well it's, terrible it's an human old, the old the fact that he's in the old boys club and you yeah. know he reports to jail with a slew of photographers following him, you know, ready to, to, I, I just, it's funny. I just watched uh, the, there's a 4k Blu-ray restoration of Serpico.
2: Yeah.
1: And one of the things they talk about, about the, you know, Al Al Pacino plays Frank Serpico is supposed to break down police corruption and talks about the criminals that before they're even put into a jail cell, they just hang out and talk with the other cops who are on the take.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And, and then, and then he, Pacino comes in. It's it's young, young 1973 Al Pacino for uh, listeners. And uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's before, yeah, before. Yeah. He was yeah. young and soft spoken. And yeah. And he just takes this takes this uh, this mafioso guy and, you know, shoves him in a cell uh, in a very, very rough manner. So anyway. But yeah, that's that's the aspect of it that reminded me of of Trump more than it's, it's not an Alec Baldwin impression, but like, Oh, he's that guy. And he, and he wants to be the friends to everybody. And the scenes he has with Gladstone are really unnerving to watch. And you know, he's just in it for number one. And, uh, uh, absolutely you know anything missing not the only thing missing is a montage done to the piano coda from uh layla by Derek and the dominoes but uh, <laughs> we still has already did
0: that yeah. that's hilarious joe give us your thoughts ben you haven't yeah you
3: yeah uh, yet. And, you know and i'll i'll say I, I was speaking in jest to a degree um you know i'll I'll just say uh, killers of the flower moon is my number 18 right now so it's it's still in my top 20 if a crap out of 19,
1: that's for damn sure <laughs> yeah
3: you know, that and then that damn wonka and then White men can't jump. So there you go. <laughs> no, no, no. It, no, it, it's a it's a good movie. It's a very good movie. Um. And and yeah, you you guys are are pretty much right on about all of the praise you've given it. And I, you know, and I'll I will just agree with all of that. Um. I'll, I'll just say, you know, going back to the Oppenheimer comparison, that just the difference of it to me that that bumped it down a little bit was just that. As I said, I felt like every frame of Oppenheimer was important. I needed to watch, and and look and see and feel what was happening. And in this one, there was just a lot of kind of meandering stuff that, you know, I, when it was over, I was like, boy, this movie could have been two hours and 45 minutes. And I would have been just as happy. I would have probably liked it better. Um, and it wasn't, you know, because, you know, and again, this isn't just me, you know, being like, Oh, it's too long. Cause as I said, so many long movies um, I, I just, I felt it more. Um okay, as been we sure. along, and I, I I sort of lost focus from time to time, I think because no,
1: of that. that's fine. And to be fair, you mentioned something. so like a lot of the foot i I you reminded me of uh hearing the stories of heaven's gate being shot. and, you know, there's <laughs> there's Michael Shimino with his little thing. Of, nah clouds not happening in day <laughs> that's, <laughs> right. that's another hundred thousand dollars down the toilet
2: yeah, yeah. So, so
1: that i okay then i get it when somebody says it's too long i always it's kind of like the uh you know too many notes in amadeus i would say well right. what would you take out
2: yeah, so the, yeah
1: you, you had you had an answer i respect
2: that so yeah, yeah. and yeah
1: if if the great thomas schoonmacher she could have maybe tightened it a little more but mm-hmm. you know she's still my favorite editor I have a favorite editor come at me.
3: Yeah, yeah, all yeah, oh, saying, all yeah. respect to her and to and to yes. Martin Scorsese, but you know, I you know, the the Irishman was what like was even longer than this, right? 3:45. Saw
1: yeah. the theater. Yeah,
3: didn't, yeah, we saw it that didn't they,
1: cons- I didn't consume liquids at noon for that one either.
3: I I actually bailed on it in the theater to go on a date. That's kind of my Irishman story. <laughs> Cuz this this is when I was like relatively newly single. Um in retrospect i wish i hadn't because it wasn't the greatest but i was about um, to, i was
1: going to say is this the, the
3: movie
2: <laughs> no was... no
3: no this was this predated her okay by, by quite a bit of time but um but no i yeah that that was kind of my story on that i was like i left and i was like yeah i don't regret that and then you know within a couple of weeks i was like yeah maybe i could you know i could have gotten gone and finished <laughs> that movie after all but um but no but um you know the the these last couple have been insanely long and um and which is like i said is fine for the most part but i i did feel it here just kind of the way i felt like it occasionally you know veered off and meandered and and it it could have been a little tighter for me and that's that's kind of sure that's as much as i'll say i don't i don't want to rag on it too much because it was very good it was a tremendous film and and again another one of those stories that you know as you said austin you you know you said i compare them to hitler and you're you're spot on there's really there really should be no hesitation but The difference is these guys have largely skated for a century, you know, based on, you know, American propaganda, basically.
0: Well, for a long time, it was like, well, what's what's oh, God, Wall Street. Uh, something gecko. What or no? What's his name? Jordan Gecko. Gecko. God,
1: the the famous Michael Douglas. Go. You realize I'm the bad guy, right? Yeah, (laughs) like like the jerk offs that love Wolf of Wall Street. Like he's a bad dude. I know. Uh
0: Yeah, I love that. And and the thing is, like, uh, those characters were kind of like these really uh, these guys that represent greed for like decades, right? And then you see this movie, and it's like, no one represents greed more than these people. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like mean? I feel like this is just the next kind of staple in history of like, no, these are the greed bearers now. Like, these are the people that represent that. And, uh, and, and I, I agree. I, I think, I, I would definitely say, I think, uh, cinematically, I think Oppenheimer definitely uh, is created in a, in a much more tighter and intentional way to get that 3 hours in and for all of it to feel necessary right uh, but there's uh, on a personal level cuz that's what these are uh killers of the flower moon it's like there wasn't a better experience i had the whole year i mean Mm -hmm. and that's what a number one should be obviously but it's like uh just something i just i agree because i agree with you joe i think there are some meandering moments and and in the way that scorsese does it i would argue maybe one of the best where he just allows characters to meander and it's still interesting Mm -hmm. um now whether that warrants the running time for some people yeah. that to each their own. Um but for me Absolutely. I just never got bored. Like I was just watching this like this is getting better. Like what? <laughs> Matt, go ahead.
1: I have a question and I'm going to vague question this for those who haven't seen it. Your thoughts about the treatment of the ending.
0: Which part? The cameo of Scorsese?
1: No. Yeah, uh, yes, involving the scenes involving that. And uh, um as some- as somebody who, well, you know, you know what my main job is, so I, I, uh, of course, loved it. But I think it's it was just a new in, uh, a new way of doing. When when you have a, a historical film or a biopic, yeah. and then you know you have a not a scroll, but you have place cards at the oh. end telling you what happened to everybody. <laughs> cool. So I loved the fact that Scorsese wanted to do and the screenwriters as well wanted to do something slightly different with the yes. where are they now aspect. So I yeah, just—I'm no, just curious how you guys thought of it.
0: I, I was a big fan, and and you, you mentioned earlier, like, was Scorsese the person that should make this movie in terms of just like not being a not only a uh a Native American but a person of color even or any like anybody that would have any sense uh, of this. And and I I think I think the key for me, the white guy, okay, like I I, I recognize, but um, you right but <laughs> you rang but uh but i think the big part is like if someone's going to make one of these movies especially if it's not going to be made otherwise if they're taking this at least what i perceive as this much care to be as faithful as they can be so far to go to a cameo by the director saying in case you missed it this whole movie this yeah. is what the movie's about right <laughs> like right. at the end where it's basically like slightly veiled exposition at the end uh, where like Scorsese is basically saying like these white people were evil and these, this is what happened to these people as a result. Um, and, and, and th- I'll just say there's a scene where a, there is a a, a um, uh, residential explosion. How about we say it that way? And that scene, I, you know, I saw it in the trailer a little bit. I didn't expect it to impact me or be as impactful as it was in context. And it's just little things like that that really kind of got me with this, where I just had all these expectations going in based on the trailer. I knew I'd like it. I didn't expect to love it. And um, this wasn't like I didn't have a five-star movie this year. Like, this wasn't, like, perfect. Um, But this is as close as it came based on what I saw. And, um, yeah, Killers of the Flower Moon is my number one. Um, Joe and I are going to talk about some leftovers for the next episode, but Matt, I'm going to give you a chance. If you want to throw in any stragglers, if you just want to just kind of like oh, you sure. do with the six through 10, just throw
1: in a few ones I mean, uh, that are crossed off on my uh, legal. Pad <laughs> here. I'm um, just giving you a
0: chance to shed some light. Like we said, help people find some more movies to see that you thought were worth it. Go for it.
1: All right, let's see. Um, I liked Marlowe. That came out earlier this year with Liam Neeson as Philip Marlowe. Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which hopefully more people will pick up on. I know it did get some Golden Globe nominations. We mentioned Blackberry. You Hurt My Feelings with Julia Louis-Dreyfus from the director of Enough Said. Um, No Hard Feelings? Fun to see Jennifer Lawrence uh, do some physical shticky stuff. Um, Desperate Souls, Dark City, and the Legend of Midnight Cowboy, a documentary about the making of Midnight Cowboy wow. and what the film world and the United States were going through in 1969. Jewels, if you combine Cocoon with E.T., with Ben Kingsley, Jane Curtin, who find an alien and kind of take them under his wing as and make them their house guest. <laughs> um, it's, kind of it's it's not feisty old people, but it has some heart. Um, all dirt roads taste of salt. Probably the most hypnotic film I've watched all year. Yes,
0: lots of um, hands. Lo-
1: yeah. Yes, American Fiction, uh, which I know is opening this week. Jeffrey Wright is great in it. Uh, Sterling K. Brown is in it as well. It could be a double feature with uh, Bamboozled. Uh, that one tackles the uh, literary world. Um, Biosphere. With uh, I was, yeah, Sterling came Brown and uh, Mark, Mark Dupless, Dupless, yeah. sorry, as uh, two of the last men on earth, and uh, it's it's a bromance stuck on <laughs> or a bromance, meaning I don't know, uh, silent running and gravity and <laughs> all the all of the weird titles you throw into a blender, mm-hmm. um, and One of the most uh,
3: interesting movies of the year,
1: I'll say that. Yep, Eileen, uh, almost a lesbian noir with uh, Anne Hathaway, and uh, we've we've been bringing it up a lot. As flawed as it is, the Iron Claw. So you can Mm -hmm. see which films are the Carrie, the Kevin, the David, the Mike (laughs) slash Chris, uh, and the Lance. So yeah, not again, not perfect, but you know, and I hate to say, I think the Iron Claw. There's there's aspects of the Iron Claw that might be easier to plop in on a Friday night. Than say Oppenheimer or Killers of the Flower Moon or you know Past Lives or Anatomy of a Fall. So yeah. I think might the be Iron Claw. Like, I
0: think people should see the Iron Claw. Like oh, I think absolutely. it's it's really good. And I think for people that are less critical than we are, I think that movie plays even better. You know what I mean? Just like don't even worry about it. Just absorb the story. Especially for people that don't know the about the Curse of the Von Erichs, as they say. Yeah. Um, this is a tragedy of a movie. When someone eventually says, I'm not a brother anymore, yeah. if you can keep a, a dry eye, um, kudos, I guess. But yeah. uh, you must be a resident of Bummerville. Yeah. Um, that's but
1: that's, yeah. well, that's the, the Bummerville Civic Center. That's where they go. To this, <laughs> the Bummerville <laughs> yeah. Auditorium the outside Dallas. Yeah. So that's yeah. probably the pizza and beer film of the year. But, yeah, you will cry in your pizza uh, yeah. probably by the film's end. So yeah. there you go.
0: It's it's
3: a yeah, lot. I, I, I do agree with that. I don't want to go into it too. Much. We should, Listen, we should have an episode on it, you and I, Austin. Uh, Matt, Matt and, and by the way, our plug can be, uh, you know, Matt and I did on his show, Film Sociology, had it had in. Joe, <laughs>
0: Film
1: Sociology at WFYI.org. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, there. Yeah.
0: I was um, going to give you a plug, but you just took it. So <laughs> self-promotion is his, is his
3: uh, uh, It's it's his curse. It's his gift. You know, yeah,
2: yeah,
3: <laughs> but um, but anyway, I I am again, I I have the same mixed feelings, um, because I'm was so close to it, and anticipated this movie so much, I but I'm extraordinarily glad it was made and that people are watching it, and are liking it much more than I did actually over yeah. in the
1: way. Yeah, because we're because yeah. we're the guys up against the wall going. You know, there were five brothers. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, yeah, that guy's. Yeah. Because we're, I'm because I'm you know, Willie Dixon wrote that in 1956, and I know <laughs> a band covered it, it's whatever. But you know, if, if our biggest gripes are you know, Fritz isn't a shitty enough dad in this film, and the dude playing Ric Flair,
2: uh-huh. I mean,
1: that's, I mean, that's, you could be a lot, there could be a lot worse flaws with a film, yeah, yeah.
3: Well, I, I would say I have small nitpicks, but it's the emotional impact that I wanted to be a little bit more. I agree so this is this
0: is what we're going to do Joe this is a part of the next episode too we're going to talk about runners-up but we're also going to save some time to really dig into iron claw because because I I, uh, had to put the podcast on hold which in the intro I told everybody about it Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, I've missed essentially almost an entire year of movies so we're going to take next episode and kind of dig into some other stuff uh, that we can tie into but uh,
1: anything else you want to plug Matt before you get out of here Um, I got some, I got all kinds of crazy shit I'd like to throw at you, Austin, now that you're back in the hunt, so, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um, I mean, just, you know, film sociology is still happening, and I'm I'm working on pitching a series of articles, maybe for the Film Yap, Um, it's in early, early development, so if that actually happens, I will let you know, I actually have a trilogy, I have an odd trilogy I want to try out, but uh, I haven't done one of those, and I don't want to Step on anybody's toes as far as mm-hmm. the the concept of odd trilogies, but uh, you know I'm around. You know where to find me. You know I'm just yep. hanging out outside the sportatorium. <laughs> you eggs sucking dogs. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, on that note, I'm glad, we I'm glad, I'm glad you're back here, man. I'm glad you're back doing it. So I
0: I really appreciate that, and this has been so much fun. Uh, we just came just over two hours. Mm-hmm. That's still better than last year. That's a great <laughs> gig right there. And we yep. cut out half the list almost. Yep. Anyways, I, I'm into it. I really appreciate you both being here. Um, we're gonna we're gonna keep having fun this year. We're gonna make 2024 a good year.
2: Excellent. All right. See you guys.
1: Right. See you. I'm the carry.
0: Now, I know I've said this before, but we are actually going to try to keep episodes shorter this time around Uh, for a best of episode. This is actually the shortest we've ever had a best of episode. So I see this as a win, Uh, but I know that it's a, you know, a little, you know, just north of two hours. I appreciate you guys listening. I thought about splitting it up, but I was like, no, we're just going to start with this. Give people plenty of content, I guess. Um, But next, uh, our next episode, uh, Joe and I are gonna talk about other 2023 films that we didn't get a chance to kind of talk about at length, Uh, some of our honorable mentions. We'll talk a little bit about uh, some films that we really hated, uh, some that were surprisingly good that we didn't expect, and vice versa. Uh, There are just several movies that we kind of want to talk about, but we didn't really have a reason to talk about them on the best of, and we just kind of wanted more time. So since I missed 2023 on the podcast, uh, though I watched a lot of movies this year, clearly by the conversation I missed some uh, bangers that, uh, that the other two really enjoyed, but uh, there, I, I watched a lot of stuff this year and uh, we just have a lot to talk about so that'll be the next episode I hope you guys stick around with us I really appreciate you uh, listening and, and, and coming back and I hope that this is uh, you know just the, the, the new start to something uh, old that has been turned new however you want to say that the point is I hope we get to keep doing this and I hope you stick around with us Uh, All that said, as always, thank you all. I love you. Good night. Good luck. And take it easy.